It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, well, we got Rule 5 news today. We've got A's announcing their minor league affiliates. Las Vegas will be AAA. Midland will be double A. Lansing will be high A. Stockton will be low A. Kai Tom and Danny Jimenez were selected by the Athletics in the Rule 5 draft today, which always goes down uh, at the winter meetings. Tom is 26 years old. They like that he can play all three positions. 2019 hit 290, 23 home runs, 86 RBIs between double A and triple A. Danny Jimenez uh, pitched last year. He was actually, this is the second time he's been drafted, uh, Rule 5. He was with the Giants, wasn't very good, and then sent back to the Blue Jays. Both guys are 26 years old, and they are in their prime, entering their prime. The question becomes, are you going to keep both? You got to keep these guys. If not, you got to offer them back. And if the team doesn't want to take them back, then you can send them to the minor leagues. But that's the kicker with the whole roof rule five pick is that he's got to stay there the full season. Now, is that going to be easy to do on a team like the A's? No. I mean, this is a roster that, you know, neither of those guys are playing positions that if the A's are going to lose somebody, <laughs> you know, they're not a shortstop and second baseman or a closer. So you, you just never know with Rule 5. If you can hit on a guy like Mark Canna, who was an unbelievable Rule 5 pick by the Athletics, but you do it, it's a gamble. It's not an expensive gamble. And if you can make it happen, you can make it happen. Our good friend Bip Roberts was a Rule 5 guy. Did you know that, Cody? Bip was Rule 5. He was originally Pittsburgh and then uh, taken by uh, San Diego. Uh, I didn't know that until you mentioned it earlier, just like I didn't know until the other day when I looked it up that Roberto Clemente was a Rule 5 guy playing on the Dodgers' Montreal roster, and he was drafted by the Pirates, and he turned out to be probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest right fielders in history of baseball, and uh, we know what he did off the field with all of his humanitarian efforts. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know about Bip, though, until you mentioned it earlier today, so uh, – that's uh, news to me. Well, there's just – there's not a whole lot going on right now. I thought probably the biggest move we've seen, Lance Lynn, 
Uh, this, in some ways, helps the A's. Lance Lynn got traded by the Rangers. And he's going to the Chicago White Sox. To me, that's a huge deal. You know, the past couple of years, the White Sox, they've tried to spend money. They tried to give their money to Manny Machado. And their young kids are growing up. We just saw it. We saw how good they can be as the A's were in their dogfight to get out of that first round, that uh, quick little three-game set. You add Lance Lynn to that rotation? So what, what, what are the Rangers thinking? I mean, once again, that's good news for the A's. But what are the Rangers like? You have a brand new ballpark. You had fans in the stands during the playoffs and the World Series there. I'm sure they're going to be planning on having fans again, and you're going to get rid of your. You're going to get rid of him. It was an interesting move because they acquired Dane Dunning back from the White Sox. Who, wait for it, the White Sox got from the Nationals. For and if I believe if I'm correct, he was in the Adam Eaton trade where they got Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. And flash forward to 2020, they get Adam Eaton back on the White Sox to go along with Giolito and those other guys, and then they trade Dunning to the White Sox to get Lynn. I, Lynn's in the last year of his deal, but he's led baseball in innings pitched and batters faced the last two seasons. I don't get Texas's thinking now. They lost their member. What was it? 2019 minor and Lynn were like the lead, like you know, among the leaders in WAR and baseball. And you know, I think Lynn's only second behind Degrom in WAR over the last couple of years uh, for pitchers. The Rangers now, like I can't name a starter on the rotation besides maybe Dane Dunning now. And you're going into a new ballpark, maybe with fans this year. And who are you trotting out there? Uh, Joey Gallo is a good a good player, but that's about it. Uh, Connor Falafa, who's now playing shortstop, not in Elvis Andrews. I, I I don't know. Are they going to try to get Arnado? Are they going to go after Chris Bryant? They got to do something if they're going to try to make a splash. They kind of hang into it, you know, be keep a uh, be competitive in the NL or AL West. But yeah, I don't. I getting Dunning's a good move, but that's a huge move for. Tony LaRusso and the White Sox to get uh, Lance Lynn to pitch behind Giolito and Keuchel. And how free agency's going to go. And our man Jim Bowden uh, put out on Twitter that the market right now looks like the average major league players are being valued by baseball teams in the range of 6 to $9 million per season. So the mega deal, not out there. And when I see that, that 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 immediately says, if I'm looking at it from like just an A standpoint. So you're saying there's a chance with with with, with Marcus Simeon. Some guys are just going to say you get. I don't know if I would do this. I don't know how I would handle it, but Carlos Santana got two years, seventeen million from the Royals. Did not want to. Did not, did not want to wait around at all. He just wanted to get a deal signed. Hey, it's $17 million in your pocket. Oh, do you have the audio of Lynn hanging up on the sports radio station? It was actually Eaton, uh, the hung up on the sports station. When they asked, uh, they asked him, in ESPN 1000, they asked Adam Eaton uh, if Tony La Russa can uh, connect with uh, the young Oh, yeah, play that. Yeah. 
Do you know Tony at all? I mean, uh, at, at any level? I don't. He probably wasn't in Arizona when you were there when you were young. I don't think. But I mean, do you know Tony Larusa at all? Uh, I don't know about knowing him, but I, you know, I've talked to him on the phone a few times. I've met him uh, multiple times. So, um, you know, true baseball man, um, a guy that knows the games, understands the games, been on some very successful teams. Uh, and uh, like I said, a great manager to play for, so I'm excited. There's some concern that, you know, because he's older and he's been away from the game for a while, at least as a manager, he hasn't been in the dugout in a while, that he might have a hard time relating with today's player. Will that be a problem? <laughs> uh, all right, guys, you guys have a good day. Well, uh, and uh, that's I'll it. talk to you all later. I appreciate it. Yeah, I gave, I gave you your two minutes. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was that's how it ended. I gave you two minutes. Thanks for coming. Doug, welcome back to Ace Cast Live. How are you? I'm here. I'm here. All right. Well, it's great to have. Well, I, I, are, are you still teaching at UConn, and how's that going? Yeah, well, you know, that's that's what I had going on. I was just, uh, you know, we have our staff meeting, and uh, we're closing out the semester. But I'll tell you, it was really unique this semester because we had to, um, you know, we had to deal with what everybody was dealing with, right? You have covid you have uh, protocols, you have students on campus, off campus, trying to figure out what the right decisions are. So we were online, and uh, I think it went really well. I teach a sport in society class, so we look at the intersection of sports and some of the social issues in 2020, especially with the pandemic and how much sports played this tremendous role from opening day on in so many sports. Um, we really had a lot of insight about our country. So. Uh, and then, you know, overlap an election on that. And then you have, you know, so much going on. So, yeah, it's been it's been intense. But, you know, baseball wrapped up. And I know we're trying to sort through this crazy time of offseason and economic uncertainty for the game. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, my wife's a first grade teacher and watching her with first graders on Zoom. And then my kids started high school. They're freshmen. I have twins and they're doing it from my living room. It's just just the way we are learning now and the way these kids are having to adjust. And, and obviously you're dealing with college kids, so it's probably a little bit easier, but as a teacher, it's gotta be very, very bizarre. I know for my wife, it's very bizarre times. Well, I'll tell you, I, I always mention that I'm technically the vice principal of my kids online school. And I've, as a teacher, I've tried to fire myself a number of times. Uh, it has not worked. So uh, we've learned to embrace the, uh, the online and, and, you know, I'll tell you the second part of this, you know, since I guess it was we're talking March when we effectively started going on and online in this, and then the summer, we had a little hybrid action there, but you have to be on your toes. And you know, my wife definitely holds down a, a lot of it, but we, we try to collaborate Four kids. You can imagine uh, I'm in literally in third grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and I'm in pre-K four. And I, thankfully I'm personally passing all these classes. <laughs> well, good on you. And, uh, you know, look at the landscape of baseball. I don't know what's going on with the Phillies, but there seems to be some mixed messages. Uh, you're around the Cubs. They're looking like they might be getting rid of some players. I mean, Doug, I'm not really sure how many teams. We, we know the Mets have a new owner and he's rich. They've talked about spending money, but I'm not sure we're going to see a whole lot of money spent this offseason. I don't see it. You know, I don't see it. You could just tell by whether the non-tenders right now, players not getting contracts, uh, you know, the economic uncertainty. I mean, how do you plan for anything 
uh, as an organization, a league, even as a player, when you don't know, A, how many games you're going to play, are you going to play, will the vaccine be required, uh, or is there going to be a DH or not if you're like, like a Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs? So you have a lot of questions. And so there's going to be just a lot of hesitation around what decisions to make because you think the information may possibly change, you know, within the next week, 30 days. And that's a big problem for the game moving quickly towards, you know, getting a robust free agency and the signing period. So I think you'll see a lot of hesitation, maybe see if people will sign for discounts or exchange, you know, security for just the opportunity to just have a job. And uh, so I see it's a ways away. And then, you know, he adds to 2021, you're going to be facing a new collective bargaining agreement at some point. And um, so a lot's going to hinge on how we come back and will this vaccine get back to some semblance of normal or will we still be sort of into these bubble lands? And uh, you know, think about the fact a lot of teams, 50%, sometimes up to 60% of their revenue depends on the gate. So it depends on the fans being there. And when you don't know what that equation is, it's hard to make any moves. You know, talking about the the DH in the National League, I was always uh, of the opinion that the the MLB Players Union would love this because it's a it's another high paying job. Why do you think we still have this holdup on the National League and the DH? It's a good question. I mean, you know, yes, I was kind of I grew up in New Jersey, I had a National League fandom as a Phillies fan. Uh, so I understand the nostalgia and some of the connections. And even as a player who, as I got older, when I was on the bench in the National League, I actually appreciated the fact there were so many other opportunities for me to get in the game, right? Pinch hit, pinch run, double switch, all these things that happen all the time and more often National League games. Uh, but, you know, from a union standpoint, to say the Players Association the designated hitter is effectively another job. You know, it's another hitter, another bat, and it's another opportunity to have someone else in the lineup. So I see that, you know, it was pretty successful this season, and uh, I can see how they may actually made this, make this somewhat permanent, but it's also going to have to flow through the Players Association given the labor constructs around it. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I would miss, even though the pitcher hitting, I understand we're on A's cast here, so why would you want to watch the pitcher hitting? But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Everybody in their living room says, that's what I would look like. <laughs> so so um, it's all good. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, you know, our, our audience and Moneyball and analytics, yeah, we have a lot of people go, I don't want to see the pitcher hit. But, you know, <laughs> when, when I think about these negotiations and I think about the players' union, I think about Major League Baseball, I mean, all of these, and we've talked, we talked to Rob Manfred. Uh, we, we get to have him every year during the playoffs. There's so many things that I think that they want to do that the players union would love, right? They want to expand to more teams. So that's more jobs at the big league level. That's more jobs at the minor league level. I just, I, I, I don't understand what the hangup is of CBA. Just the fact that older free agents aren't getting the money. But for the most part, don't you think major league baseball is giving the players union what they want? Well, you know, I, I think that there's no question that there's been a contentious history, right? <laughs> and sometimes even that history of fighting has been on things they agree on. You know, I mean, it, uh, m many times it's about how to get there, uh, how to approach it, uh, maybe the duration of it, if it's some policy and shift. 
So the details really bite them quite often. And, you know, for example, let's look at 20, you know, 21 season. There could, there'll be a push, of course, from the Players Association to say, look, I want to play a full season. We found a way to play in the bubble. And yes, there may not be fans, but we did it and we had success and so on. That's going to be something to raise up when, say, the players or the owners, the owners may say, well, look, we want to play 120 games. We want to wait. There's a vaccine. You know, yes, we want to play as much baseball as possible, but we also want to be economically feasible. You may decide that, oh, I want to play as many games as possible, but how you define possible is going to be where the fights will lie. And that's uh, been a, a real hurdle for these two parties for pretty much since the dawn of time. And I hope for the sake of what we're all experiencing right now, they'll find a way to be as proactive as they can once they have a better sense of really the vaccine and how it's going to play out because they're going to have to decide, are they going to require it? And then the other question of how do players get this before many other people possibly in society, whether essential workers and uh, medical staff and so on. So they have some social issues to address also. And a lot of times they're not necessarily unified exactly how to do that. Well, we said before you came on, you might be the most interesting guy in the game. Why don't we get you involved in the negotiations? Why don't we <laughs> let's get you in the room with Tony Clark and Rob Manfred and get this thing done? Well, funny you should say that. I, well, I've been in that room to a, a, a small degree. I've uh, served on the executive subcommittee of the Players Association as a player, and Tony Clark was also on that committee. Don Fear and Craig Councils and Mark Loretta's of the world. So I've kind of been in the room where it happens at different times. I remember we almost went on strike in 2002 and we happened, the Phillies, we happened to be in New York. So I was able to go to the, the league offices and I was there till like 5.30 in the morning. And we did avert a strike uh, the next day, which was, I don't take credit for that, but I at least was sort of there <laughs> to, to a large degree, as was Al Leiter and, and Tom Glavin. So, uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's important. And Tony Clark, I still have a relationship with him and, I always offer my help or ideas or services if you ever want it. So um, I love the game. You know, I, I think you guys know that. You know, I love it. I um, want to see it shine in the best light, not only for the game to be viable and popular and successful, but also lead lead our country, lead the world, and really taking on social issues on a certain degree because it's it's the, the, the game that brought us Jackie Robinson and tremendous change. And it's also brought us a different way to experience sport. No clock, you know, timeless and uh, looks backwards as well as it does forward. So I hope we continue to recognize that and, and support that. And our game is a game that really has players from all over the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, the, the lessons from that I will always keep with me because I would show up to spring training like any other player and you'd see players converge in this where Arizona, Florida, wherever you may be from all over the world. And not only that, but all over the backgrounds of, of economics, socioeconomics, language, race, you know, it was truly tremendous. And you come away after a season with a very different perspective on people because of the intimacy, the pr close proximity of being a teammate. And uh, so I, that is, a, you know, to me, a beautiful thing, the tapestry of our diversity celebrated in, through a common goal. And, and I think in that, the game can really do so much to, to promote that power and, and still celebrate this great game. So I'm with you on it. You know, I, I hope we uh, you know, see that more and more, especially as we're really trying to right the ship here off of a really difficult year for our country and our world.
you know, we're seeing something happen again that happens like every single year. And I don't think people on the East Coast really understand that basically ever since Billy Bean has been in charge of the A's, half the time they've been in the postseason. They have one of the great winning percentages in our game since Billy Bean took over. And we're already starting to see it where people are starting to project for 2021. You know, the A's have been to the playoffs. We got a run going here, you know, winning 97 games a year, winning the division last year. And here we go again in the offseason. Oh, it's about the Astros. It's about the Angels. Why do you think, especially people in the East Coast, just don't understand the A's win? We win. You do win. And, well, it's partly the magic of the formula, you know, the, the A's find value under a rock and because they have to have a certain vision for that value. It is sometimes hard to convey to everyone else why there, why there is value there. And in some degrees you don't want to, because someone might take your formula, might take your approach. So there is a little bit of mystique under it that I think serves the A's well. Uh, and many teams, you know, Tampa Bay Rays or somewhere along those lines. And, you know, it might, take away sometimes from the sex appeal of what comes with the obvious. Uh, and, but the obvious doesn't necessarily win ball games, And, and the A's do, and they've won consistently and been a, always a threat. Uh, I think players who play against the A's on the field know better. <laughs> they, they know like, oh boy, these guys like drive you crazy because they're just so efficient. And, uh, and look, I, I celebrate what the A's really unearthed about the game because when you're looking for value, and if you're a player like myself who played prided himself on base running and defense and speed and things that aren't necessarily splashed up on your, your homepage or the big screen, then you understand that that is important for the game to see all the different ways you can contribute to being a winning ball player and a winning team. And the A's celebrate that in an important way that players, if you're a Kevin Kiermaier or guys like that who play great defense and and you realize that the league will find find value in you. That's something that you have to tip your cap to, to Billy Bean and the A's march to finding value. And that's a good thing to me because you see you don't have to be the billionaire team to, to be competitive. I want to go to spring training every year, no matter if I'm a player, and no matter where I am, I have a chance to win. And I have a fair, reasonable, equal chance to win. That's important. And when you just continue to you know, fuel the dragon of, of the wealth or the dynasties and all that, you, you lose that ability to claim that as a sport of really having an equitable landscape. So, uh, so I, yeah, so I, I appreciate it. And I think players know it, managers know it, you know, GMs know it. Uh, the fans may, I think they're knowing it more and more because now those analytics are so much more public and, uh, and, and they see that, you know, you can do great things with not necessarily the obvious resources. Let's end on this. Uh, what kind of advice would you give guys who are free agents right now? You know, is, is it the try and get as much as you possibly can? Is it sign the one-year deal, hoping that the market really comes back and the virus is gone? What what advice would you give to a, a free agent? That is a great question, and um, you know, I, I know it has to be circumstantial. Each player. You know, if you're Mike Trout, someone, you know, someone really established all-star, you'll, you might look at it differently. You know, your family situation will dictate quite a bit. I, I would be nervous to go into 2020, 
2021 with the collective bargaining on the table and not have a job going into it. That would be really nerve wracking for me because imagine you say, okay, I'm going to hold out. I'm trying to do this. You miss three quarters of the season. You come in, who knows what, how long that season is. And then you get into the situation where you're going into free agency with no stats, no data behind you. And now you may not get data anyway, because maybe the season doesn't happen or, you know, whatever, I don't know, but that's going to be nerve wracking for players. So I think you kind of have to play the short game and, and then, you know, hope you have the ability to gain a long game out of it. And that's tough because your window of opportunity in baseball or any sport is small and uh, you know, you're going to have to assess where you are in your career and the risks and rewards of your choices. Well, I got to tell you, we're always smarter having you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Happy holidays. Be safe. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Sorry, the confusion getting on a little late there, but thanks for your patience and, uh, you know, the Oakland faithful hang in there. Got a great team. Take care. Be safe. All right. You too. Take care. And now from one amazing to another, the great Bob Nightingale from the USA Today joins us here on A's Cast Live. Bob, how are you? Yeah, doing great, Chris. Thank you. Well, I got to tell you, I was looking forward, you know, the winter meetings, you know, San Diego last year was so much fun. This year was going to be Dallas. It's just uh, it's just sad we're not going to be able to go. Yeah, I mean, uh all they're doing is manager uh, Zoom calls next week, you know, week after what would really be the winter meetings. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to be the same. I mean, even though 90% of the rumors were false and people chasing things that weren't true, it was still fun to be around and, and see everybody. Yeah, you know, it, it's really kind of it, – it, it reminded me it's like the Super Bowl or it's like the NCAA tournament – uh, it, it's where the entire industry can get together because we don't see each other throughout every single season. So it's really like the one place, the winter meetings, where everybody in the sport gets to see each other. Yeah, a lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of people don't travel during the playoffs. So it's really the last time you see people was the regular season, you know, ending in September. And then, uh, you know, you stay there for uh, four or five days and knowing that you're, you're going to see everybody not until next spring. So it's almost like, that was the end of the baseball season, you know, uh, officially was at the end of the winter meetings. So a big question that I have and, you know, whether it's going to be Lindor or it's going to be Bryant, whoever the big guy that's going to get Arenado, I don't know who's going to get traded, but how do you make a trade? And you're looking at a lot of prospects, whether they were at the alternate site or they weren't even at the alternate site. How do you do a deal right now when you're talking to these GMs when you're you're talking about acquiring players who haven't played in over a year? Yeah, that's a that's a big problem. It's like a uh, you know when you're training for prospects, who knows where these prospects uh, regress in time or you know or keep improving? Yeah, you know, we don't know. So you're kind of taking a gamble on those prospects, which make a a, a trade harder. But Jeff, you're talking about a guy like uh, Elendor or Arenado, you know, two proven guys, uh, you know, with with a lot of, um, you know, being paid a lot of money. So, yeah, it just complicates matters even more. Yeah, you take a young Chris Townsend, Bob, and if I wasn't playing and I'm like 23 years old, who knows what kind of trouble I was getting in at that point. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm just nobody's seen these guys. I mean, uh, you know, we see it all the time with these, uh, prospects are hyped up and never really, you know, amount to anything. And 
some guys who well, you don't hear about become studs. So who knows what, what happened to these, you know, these kids in 2020. You know, I, I don't think it's good for the sport, but I do think it's good for the A's. And one thing that I've always respected about you is the fact that you know every team. Because, you know, sometimes you talk to people on the East Coast and you can tell they have no idea about the AL West. They have no idea about the A's. There are going to be so many of the big boys. I think like Boston. I think about Chicago. I'm talking about the Cubs, not the White Sox. There's some of the big boys out there that seem like they're just content with being in rebuild mode. I just don't know how many teams are going to be like in it to win it. I know the A's are one. I can look at the Yankees. I can look at the Dodgers. I can look at the Rays. How many teams do you think are really going to be out there who are really going to try and win the World Series in 2021? No, that's a great question, Chris. I mean, look at the uh, look at the NL Central, for instance. I mean, there's not a team there that's spending money and trying to win. You know, the Cubs are unloading, the Reds are unloading. You know, Pittsburgh's rebuilding, and on and on. Uh, so yeah, you wonder how many teams are really you know in this thing to win. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, all these teams took took losses. You know, maybe they changed their mind come uh, you know come July or so during the trade deadline. But right now, everybody's being cautious, pretty much. You know, when I think about the Cubs deal, it's it's kind of strange. It's like they have this core, they've won a World Series, they've been to the playoffs, and now the front office doesn't like their players. What's going on in Chicago? Well, I think they're, you know, very disappointed. Yeah, they won the World Series in 2016. Uh, you know, who knows if they would have won it, you know, with the Giants bullpen collapse in game four, they would have had, uh, you know, uh, in, in game five, you know, in, in Chicago, they had their horse going. So who knows if they would have won that year, if not for the bullpen struggles of the Giants. So we'll, we'll see. But the, uh, you know, they haven't won a playoff game since 2017. I just think they, that group underachieved. You know, yeah, they won the World Series. They broke the curse. But you expected more. That this group thought they were going to have a dynasty, and it didn't happen. So now they're saying, you know what, we've watched this long enough. It's time to break it up. You know, when I think of that, you know, Nolan Arenado, if you trade for him, you're basically taking on a lot of cash. So that, uh, I believe personally, kind of like Mookie Betts, you won't. And they had to absorb price also. So the Dodgers didn't have to give up top prospects. I'm thinking because of Arenado, you take on his money, you won't have to give up your best prospects. Lindor and Bryant may be different. What do you think it's going to take to get them from their franchises? Like, how good do you think the package has to be? Well, I think of the three guys, Lindor is a top guy. You know, you're only paying them uh, one year, you know, and uh, about $19 million. Uh, you know, he's, he's so consistent, you know, charismatic, uh, can draw fans, you know, which of course is a, uh, you know, a detriment because you don't know how many fans will be even be allowed. So maybe you take away, you know, and negate that popularity right there. Uh, I think he's the prize of the three. Uh, you know, Bryant's coming off a, a, a terrible year, has not been quite that same guy. He's going to cost about $19, $20 million uh, also. And you're right with Arenado. You know, who's who's going to step up and take that salary? Uh, you know, I mean, the Dodgers could they wanted to. I don't see the Dodgers paying you know, $35 million a year for the next six years when the Rockies couldn't, can't wait for someone to uh, take them off their hands. Are you shocked how bad 
the relationship went between the Rockies and Arenado. I mean, he signs the contract, and I want to be a Rocky for life, and then ever since then, it's been a disaster. It really has been. I mean, he and uh, the general manager don't speak to each other. Uh, you know, he clearly wants out. He would love to go to the Dodgers. You know, I think in hindsight, he kind of wishes he hadn't signed that contract and waited and signed with the Dodgers as a free agent. You know, but, you know, you can't turn down that kind of money. Uh, it was so great. But I think he was told that, hey, we're going to build around you and we're going to be a, a, a consistent contender. And all they've done since is just, you know, cost cutting. You know, when you're a non tenery guy like David Dahl, you know, who was just a, uh, would it cost two and a half, three million dollars in arbitration? Then it kind of raises your eyebrows like, wait a minute now, you know, they're going the other direction. And uh, I don't see how they can afford him and Trevor Story. And Trevor Story is a free agent here. Yeah, how many, Bob, how many of these teams are going to use COVID-19 as an excuse to dump a bunch of payroll? Well, I think everybody, yeah. I mean, I just think they, they lost over uh, you know $100 million uh, last year, each team uh, on the average. And they're saying, you know what, uh, you know, besides losing money last year, they don't know what they'll get it, you know, gain them back this year. I mean, there's no, there's no uh, idea whether uh, when the season will start, how many games we played how many fans will be allowed. So it's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a very tough year financially again in 2021. And at some point, you know, we got to get word out of New York. Like what, 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 what are going to be like, like roster size? Like what, what, you know, when do you think we're going to hear that? I mean, obviously the DH we're now thinking the DH may not be in the national league, but when do you think we're going to hear? Like, I mean, at some point you got to know, we're we going to have, 26 guys going to have 28, 30. Like, when do you think we're going to know? I don't think we're going to know until almost spring training, you know, like the DH. I don't think we'll know until at least another month now. I think we'll have the DH. I can see why MLB tells teams don't count on it because, you know, we may not have an agreement. Uh, MLB is saying, hey, we'll have a DH if you guys let us have expanded postseason. And the unions say, no, uh, you know, we think it's worth more than that. So, uh, giving you expanded postseason. So we want more than just a DH. So I think those arguments will continue. Uh, you know, I, I think reasonably, if we have a long, uh, if we have a, at least a 140, 162 game season, I think they'll probably stick with 26 uh, man roster. You know, maybe 28 in the first month, perhaps. But I, I think if you're a team, you've got to count on just 26. You know, listening to that answer, Bob, I'm thinking to myself, if, if I'm a player, and I'm paying dues to the union, and you're trying to tell me you're you're not approving the DH on the National League, which is a high-paying job, means more jobs, and this is all about a political, uh, uh, or I should say a negotiation piece. If I'm a player, especially as we, we talk about how we're so concerned with older players, older players make great DHs, I got to think I wouldn't be happy, like, if I'm a player, I would want the DH in both leagues. Well, the players do, no doubt about it. And the union does too. And I think, you know, secretly MLB does as well. Even the uh, the, the National League owners in, like, in St. Louis and Cincinnati and Chicago that were so opposed to it, now they're uh, embracing it. What it really hurts, Chris, is guys who were uh, really DHs. A guy like a, a Nelson Cruz. Uh, if you can have 30 teams bidding on them instead of 15, really enhances its value. You know, same as a, uh, a Marcelo Zona, you know, who's way, way below average uh, defensively, but, but he can hit. So it certainly affects, you know, a few of those guys. 
So in, in your long career, are you ever going to miss watching a pitcher hit? Uh, no, I mean, I, I did like the strategy of, uh, you know, do you leave the guy in there for a pinch hitter? I mean, you know, or, uh, or, or take him out and go for it. You know, that sort of thing. You know, it didn't come out very often. I remember Tony La Russa used to say there was more strategy in the American League. And his reasoning why was that uh, in the American League, you kind of know when to take your uh, starting pitcher out. In the National League, you got to, you know, make a judgment call. Like, okay, you know, am I going to risk having this guy hit in a couple innings or should I just take him now and go, and go for the juggler with a pitch hitter? So, but the, but the pitchers had just got terrible over the years hitting-wise. I mean, guys like Greg Maddox could always lay down a bunt. Uh, you know, there were guys who were good at hitting pitchers like Madison Baumgartner, but those days are gone. Oh, my God. I mean, we, we went back over to, like, the 70s A's. Catfish Hunter could swing it. Ken Holtzman, Vita Blue. Like, these guys actually were legit threats that were getting hits in World Series games, playoff games. But, yeah, I mean, it just it, it got to a point to where they're kind of useless. I want to ask you before we let you go about Dick Allen. Um, unfortunately, uh, he passed away at 78. And we've been looking at his numbers. I mean, he's got the same OPS plus as Willie Mays. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? You know, I think his, his, his career was, uh, you know, sh- um, shorter. Uh, you know, it wasn't long like Willie Mays and some of these guys. I think some of the off-the-field stuff hurt him as far as, you know, not always showing up on time, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, obviously, playing during a very, uh, you know, racial tension time and where he kind of fought back and wasn't beloved by the writers and things like that. So, yeah, I think the analytics really helped him. And I remember doing a story to him during the last election, and, uh, you know, he said it didn't bother him getting in, but he wanted to get in just because of all his uh, good friends and family wanted it so bad. He just missed out on one vote. His loyal supporters were just outraged that the Hall of Fame wasn't going to have a, uh, a veterans committee this year because they couldn't meet in person because of COVID. You know, and the reason why was some of these guys are going to pass away. You know, so if you go in the Hall of Fame when you're not alive, you know, you can defeat the purpose. And, of course, that's what's happened here with, with uh, Dick Allen. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's so sad because, yes, you live forever in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But it's just, I mean, if you never get your moment in the sun, it's really, really sad. Yeah, you know, I always felt bad, too, when the uh, guys get elected and, to the Hall of Fame, they have induction ceremony, but then you know their, their parents aren't alive to see it or something like that. So yeah, it you want you certainly want that person to be alive and all you know their, their closest family members to see it as well. You know it's almost like a uh, you know in Chicago with Ron Santo. You know when he got in, everyone in Santo win, but he wasn't alive to see it. You know just you know very uh, very empty feeling. Well, I was hoping to see at the winter meetings. I'm now just going to like cross my fingers and hope I, I, I can see it spring training. Yeah. Spring training will be interesting. Be interesting to see if they, uh, when they have it, uh, if it will be allowed on, on premise or, or what have you. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to be fascinating. I would think a lot of reporters in the gates to watch, but certainly not in the clubhouse or anything like that. So I think it's going to be different times all next year as well. Well, uh, everything you've done for me all these years, all the different radio stations and what we do here with A's Cast Live, I've always appreciated you coming on the program. 
And, uh, of course, the work you do for the USA Today is second to none. Be safe, my friend, and we'll talk soon. And have a great holidays and a great Christmas. You too. Thank you, Chris. Take care. The great Ken Korak, the voice. I guess we'll call you the voice of winter. How are you, Ken? Hello, Chris Townsend. How you doing, man? I, 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 I'm doing well. You know, we're, we're powering through this thing. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of moves to be made. And we've been talking to a lot of people today, Ken. There are so many good baseball players that are out there that can help your team. It really is unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot we don't know about the upcoming months. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually hopeful, like a lot of people are, about the, the vaccines and the fact that we might get back to some normalcy even during this upcoming season, Chris, and how that might impact some of the decisions that uh, ball clubs will make regarding players. And I think that'll be uh, really an interesting thing to follow as we go forward. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people understand um, what you guys went through to where I think everybody was, it, it was a little scary going to the ballpark. Um, but you went to the ballpark and, and you did your job and they, you know, obviously kept you guys in different boxes. They wouldn't even allow Cody and I to go to the stadium. When you look back at this season, I mean, it was a little scary. Um, what was it like for you? Well, I think the A's did a really good job with the protocols and the guidelines. So I think it eased some of our trepidation, Chris, to talk to you about that. Um, and as it's turned out, and I think we were concerned, too, about our ability to deliver the best possible broadcast because, as you know, we were doing the road games off the TV monitor. But um, And nothing good has come out of this pandemic. So let's, let's make that clear. But there was a certain we were I, I was gratified by the reaction from A's fans, Chris, that I think uh, people got something out of us doing the game. So that was the main thing. And that was the biggest motivation for me. Uh, I was doing the games for those people who had been sheltering in place, didn't have a chance to get out at all. And were missing having the chance to have a little diversion. And that's what we hopefully provided. And one thing I wanted to interject to you that I think is kind of interesting today that my wife reminded me of, because. Now, I was over in the visiting TV booth, and Vince was in the home radio booth, which is the Bill King broadcast booth, as you know, Chris. Exactly four years ago today, we learned that Bill King was going to receive the Ford C. Frick Award. That announcement was made by the Baseball Hall of Fame exactly four years ago today, Chris. And, of course, we were gathered in Cooperstown in July of 2017 to celebrate Bill's life and his career. So. Um, think interesting now, of course, we remember December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day, but also uh, the fact this was a, a great day for Bill's family and also all of his fans around the Bay Area. I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't even thought about that, uh, Pearl Harbor. And there's a one of the great stories is about uh, my alma mater, San Jose State. So San Jose State boarded the ship, went all the way to Hawaii, and a lot of the guys on the football team, I think almost everyone, but I think like two, like even the coaches, all enlisted and became either mm -hmm. military or police. Uh, Pearl Harbor and San Jose State have that great connection. Yeah, they do. And what a great history over there at San Jose State. And, you know, Harry Edwards, you see him all the time on some of the some of the spots during the NFL games. And so he's certainly very active and, and vital um, to this day. And the other thing, is that looking back historically, the election this year was, of course, November 3rd. 
And my dad, who is still alive at 101, uh, voted in his first election 80 years to the day before he voted in this election this year. Uh, He voted for the first time at the age of 21 in 1940, November 3rd of 1940, and voted this year, November 3rd, 2020. That's called good genes, Ken. <laughs> Pretty amazing, huh? That is amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah, like every, I know. Every single, every single time we bring up your father, I, I, I is he still driving? Unfortunately, I shouldn't say this. He does, but very rarely now. I mean, um, oh and because he, he has help, he has help over at the house, and normally they'll drive uh, when they go out. But I think there are still some times during the daytime when he will drive. He's promised me that he's been very careful, and I've implored him to think about that and double think about it when he goes out. But he's doing fine, really. He, you know, he really is. He's a marvel. I mean, it's incredible. He's 101. He, he, I mean, to think of how many just not presidential elections, you know, we vote for a lot of different things. I mean, you think in, in Southern California, how long your dad has been voting is just, it's, it's, it's amazing. What, and Literally what, 80 years. Yeah. 80 years. And he, you know, he was born during the flu epidemic of 1918, 1919, the so-called Spanish flu. So this is the second pandemic that he's lived through. Yeah. What, 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 what an incredible life. Um, how, how's everything for you? I mean, that's, you know, one thing that we want to check in. Everything good with you? Yeah, things are good. I, I have another little piece of news for you you might be interested in. All right. Okay. This is kind of off the wall, but on Saturday in the mail, I got a, um, a royalty check from Moneyball, you know, which (laughs) I get every so often, you know, residuals, the residual checks. Okay. Now this one was for $11 and 45 cents. Wow. But this, I'd never, I've never gotten this, this, I guess, statements. I've been getting statements for them for years now. But this is, this is a foreign royalty statement, Chris. So the, the movie was shown, according to this statement, in Denmark, Germany, Spain, and Switzerland. So, you know, Moneyball, fans of Moneyball should know that the movie is being shown, you know, all over the world now. I got, I got exactly 56 cents. From the showing of the movie in Switzerland, Chris. I always knew you were a star. I mean, this <laughs> you're a star. When you think of me, you think of box office, right? Two things just go together, right? I mean, I mean, you think like having to actually write the check, mail the check when it's eleven dollars. I mean, it's like it's, it's so ridiculous. That that's what you are about and. Uh, you were part of the movie. It's true. I deposited the check today, man. I wasn't going to tear it up and throw it out. So, now, and then the other thing, have you, go ahead. So, so like, like Greg Papa, do you get more than Papa? Do you get the same as Papa? Like, how's that work? I should. No, I don't know. I have not compared notes with Greg. I don't know. Greg had a very important part in the movie. Yeah, uh, as great. you know, my, my you part, my part is on the cutting room floor. Um, I made a thousand dollars for acting the role that never made it into the movie. Now, my voice is in the movie, as you know, and we've talked yeah. about that. But my understanding is I'm not getting paid for that, but I'm getting paid for the fact that I actually was technically part of the cast. That's wild. That I mean, <laughs> I mean, you guys, 
when you when you get that in the mail, you guys just got to be laughing. Well, yeah, I'll be on the road with the ace somewhere. My wife will text me and actually uh, text me a photo of the check, you know. And so, hey, you know, it's better than not getting anything, pal. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's still funny. I mean, it's just like I and and you may be getting this for. I mean, Moneyball. I it, it's not. Now you're, it's now on Netflix. It's. I mean, you might be getting these checks for a long time. My friend Jason Rezaian, who's a North from the North Bay and actually is a big A's fan, opinion writer for the Washington Post, was in an Iranian prison for over 500 days and wrote a great book about it called Prisoner. And in the book, he writes about being in solitary confinement in a prison in Iran, but they had a, he had a TV, and somehow Moneyball was shown on Iranian television. And it, it gave him a little taste of being home and helped him get through the next couple of days. That is that that that, that is a great story. Uh, hey, did you talk about Dick Allen today? Yeah, you know, we we, we actually went over his numbers. You can yeah, make pretty it, good. He should be in the Hall of Fame. There were there were people I was reading today somewhere where Someone was making the case that he's the best player not in the Hall of Fame. And, I, you know, I watched him play a lot. I mean, he was from my, you know, my era. He was a great. He one of those guys where when he was coming up, Chris, you didn't go to the concession stand and get a hot dog. He could really impact the game. So the Hall of Fame would not be cheapened if Dick Allen uh, now would be have to sadly posthumously I believe the Veterans Committee, and I don't think it's called the Veterans Committee, it's like the ERA Committee, yeah. was supposed to vote this year, but that was postponed because of COVID. So that's a little bit of a tragedy right there because perhaps he could have uh, gotten the nod from that, that committee. But, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance he can make it in. Well, I, you know, uh, as Cody pointed out, he's got the same OPS plus as Willie Mays. I mean... You're like, you look at his numbers. We went through his numbers, Ken. I mean, the guy was a beast. And it's he just, was. It, it, it is so sad that we have a hard time recognizing. And I know one guy that you know who's very dear to me for all my years with the Raiders. Like It's like Tom Flores. Tom Flores, the football life of Tom Flores from the University of Pacific to his life as an NFL quarterback his life as an NFL coach, as a Super Bowl champion multiple times, as a head coach, if you put his football life together, there's no question. You know, when you think of the first Latino, you think about all these things that Tom Flores did, and the fact that he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it, it's a joke. You're waiting for him to pass to make it happen? No. It's, it's wrong. That's right. He should be honored while he's still alive tremendously deserving because like you said, just if you take the totality of his life and what he accomplished, he was a very good quarterback in the early days of the AFL. Um, I mean, you look at his record while he was coaching the Raiders. He did a great job there. And then of course, all the other things that he did, including broadcasting and his influence in the game, and especially in the Hispanic community, uh, what he's meant. Uh, Chris, uh, Tom Flores to me should I should be a slam dunk in the football hall of fame. Yeah, I think that's something we really need to think about going forward. 
uh, is honoring players and honoring whether it's coaches, players, managers, broadcasters, honoring people before they pass. And it's just like it, we, we now have these numbers. Like if Allen wasn't voted in and we now throw all the – so, you know, because the people who were, were voting for him, they weren't into analytics. If they now look at the analytics, he almost looks like a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, throw out the plus, and his OPS, I think, was 912, which is outstanding. I think his lifetime batting average was 292. Now he might be dinged because he I think he had less than 400 home runs, but he also had some injuries too, Chris. So I don't think there was necessarily a fall-off in his production. It's just that in his, the games played, there were years where he maybe played 112 games or 128 or 140. He also had his issues. He was a controversial figure. And whether that played into some of the voting over the years, I don't know that you can quantify that. But from everything I've read about him and watching him play, he, played, he always played hard and he was a good teammate. Uh, he happened to come up at a time when black players were expected to particularly toe the line. He wasn't that kind of a person, but he was a great player. And I think more importantly, too, from what I read, like I said, he was a good teammate and that goes a long way. You know, one thing that uh, definitely, you know, resonated today on the program, you know, talking to Jesus Lazardo and talking to Bob Melvin is that, Ken, this is a team that it, it's about winning the World Series. I mean, that, that's where we can honestly say where the A's are right now, two straight years of winning 97 games, winning the division in the, in the pandemic. And you've got a lot of the big boys out there, Ken, Red Sox, Cubs that are looking to kind of go into rebuild mode. Uh, you know, I got to think if you know, Dodgers, obviously, uh, Yankees, Rays, Twins, A's. I think there's certain teams like there's a lot of teams that are not going to really be trying. I, I kind of like what I'm hearing from A's management, A's players that, you know, this this coming season, it's about winning it all and getting a ring. Well, this is their window, and I'm sure you would agree with that. There are certain teams over the course of time that have windows that you identify and say this is their time. And as long as you have Chapman and Olsen and, and Laureano, and you could add several others with, um, you know, Lizardi, you mentioned him, it is their time. Now they need help, and I'm sure you'll agree with us. We don't know what's going to happen with, with Simeon, but they need help at second and short. If Marcus takes off, Marcus leaves as a free agent. Uh, I think they need help in the bullpen. I think they could use another starting pitcher. So we'll see. And this is, you know, Billy Bean and David Force normally uh, in a situation like this, they're going to be active. Whether they're going to take their time and wait, maybe and see how the market develops, Chris, and plays out. But I would expect the A's, because of what you said, because there is this expectation within the organization that they're going to win. This is going to be an active offseason for this club. You know, we, we, we talked earlier with Doug Glanville, who, by the way, is just great to have on the program. He is such a sharp guy, and uh, his post-career ha has just been incredible. And I asked him about, you know, the whole East Coast thing with – because we're already starting to see projections are coming out, Ken. And, of course, it's not the A's. It's the Astros. And then, of course, 
Artie Moreno is going to write a big check to somebody, and then people are going to like the Angels. But the reality is the A's are the best team in the division. It just kind of frustrates me that we've got to always let it play out, and then I've got to have all these national guys on at the end of the year, and I'm like, you didn't pick them. Why didn't you pick them? We know this was going to happen. It's just frustrating that in the offseason, no one ever like the A's are never the darling. Well, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. Maybe I'm used to it because I've been doing the games for 25 years. I saw, you know, one pundit listed the A's over under on wins like 85 or 86 for next year. Well, they've been in the postseason three straight years, Chris, and they won the division this past year. So I don't get, you know, too caught up in a lot of that. But we'll see. I mean, I think it's, like I said, I think they've got a real shot. And it's going to be this, we, not having the winter meetings right now. Don't you miss that? Because you're, it's you know they're, they're yeah you know they're doing it virtually now, but you don't have the same buzz and anticipation that you have during the winter meetings normally, where you're going day by day and thinking what big deals are we going to have today. There's none of that now. Oh, it's so sad. I mean, the the job Cody did down in San Diego, where we we were at the winter meetings, and we, and our plan was to go to Dallas this year and do the winter meetings. We had basically everybody in baseball on. It was incredible. And yeah, the, the commander was working the room, right? Oh, it was it was incredible. Yeah. You know, when the commander shows up, people around baseball know he's going to work the room. And being on your show is, you know, kind of a can't miss thing. It's it's appointment radio. We had multiple managers. We had multiple <laughs> GMs. We had we had all the guys from MLB Network. Like Cody, they don't know his face until they saw him in San Diego. Cody's like becoming famous inside baseball. Everybody knows who Cody is. He's a rock star. You know, I got my first job in AAA uh, in 1985 during the winter meetings in San Diego. With who? December of 85. With the Phoenix Firebirds of the Coast League, then the Giants AAA affiliate. <laughs> I flew down to San Diego 20, what is it, 35 years ago? <laughs> 35 years ago, literally. I flew down to San Diego and interviewed for a job with the uh, Firebirds doing their radio and got the job. I still marvel at the fact that late July, early August, playing those games, you know, I mean, you live in Vegas. I mean, my, I mean, that, that that's a whole different heat. It is, especially when we were in Phoenix, because we used to work in those concrete bunkers that they had that that I guess they were camouflaged as broadcast booths. They really weren't. It was so hot in Phoenix, Chris. There was one night where we did the games, but it was too hot for the plants to take off from the airport. Because <laughs> it burns the tires, right? Yeah, I know. I don't know. The atmospheric conditions or whatever <laughs> would not allow the plane to sustain enough altitude to take off. But those were great days. You know, I really loved those those days in the Coast League. Uh, my first year, Jimmy Lefevre was our manager in 1986. And I it just, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. You know, I, you know, I, I'm trying to preach patience with A's fans. Like, this is where Billy Bean and David Force excel. The one-year deal, bring somebody in. Who can help us? Who can help us win? Help us win right away. Uh, the way I've been describing it is, this is the pond they fish in. 
And this pond has a lot of fish in it this year. And that's what I like about it. Cause I, I, I'm not sure whether Billy's going to leave. I, I don't think he is now. Uh, I think he could be staying. So I, I just think of Billy and David and their success. Like, like this is like, you think this off season, this is where they flourish, Kent. You got to love it. And like you said at the beginning of the show, Chris, there are a lot of players available that were non-tendered, right? You would take four or five of those guys right now. Oh God. So yeah, you know, we'll see how it goes. So I, I think there's a, there's going to be talent out there and available. And if you're a GM and you've got a club that you know is going to be in contention, you live for times like this. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I'm going to be patient. I just, I, I know in the end, we're going to like the names that are showing up in white cleats. Well, it's always great to hear from you. And I know for the fan base to hear your voice is something special. We miss you. I know it hasn't been that long. I, I got to tell you, Ken, I was talking to my kids about this. I know we did 60 games, but it sure felt like 162. <laughs> it was pretty intense. You know, the intensity of it was unrelenting. And yeah, because we we're putting in long days because I think of the nature of the way things work. But the A's did a great job with the Zoom calls. And, but, you know, because we weren't going, we weren't allowed down on the field. A lot of the work we did was done in kind of a different form this year. So maybe that made it feel like it was longer, but it was worth it. I think, I, you know, I'm glad with that we were able to do the games. Well, and I think one of the really cool moments for us, I think that we'll look back in our careers, is when we were doing the 1972. If people don't know here on A's cast, uh, we went back and we played games from 72, 73, 74. But obviously, obviously, 72 was the big red machine. And the legend Joe Morgan joined us. And unfortunately, we lost Joe uh, not too long after that. I'm not sure if we did Joe Morgan's last interview or not. It was one of his last interviews. He's a legend, not only as a player, as a broadcaster, as a person, and I think you and I being able to interview him and knowing that's one of his, it's either his last or one of his last, I, that was really special, Ken. It really was. And those are great memories. And I'm glad you mentioned that because he was as special off the field as he was as a player. And he was a Hall of Famer, uh, one of the great second basemen of all time. And there's this long list. And we, you know, we talked about Dick Allen adding him today, Chris, of the players we lost this year. I mean, 2020 has been so terrible. And especially so if you look at baseball and so many uh, players, figures uh, who worked in the game, uh, we've lost them this year. So we, we all can't wait for 2021. I think 2021 is going to be a great year for this country, at least eventually. Uh, I think it's got a, it has a chance to be a real transformative year uh, for the USA. Hey, well, you're the best. And you know how much uh, you mean to the A's family and what you mean to us here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. I enjoyed it. Robert, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, no, we appreciate you you coming on. I mean, obviously a very interesting time uh, in baseball where we have so many players out there who are available and we still have a lot of unknowns. Yeah, it is going to be probably one of the most unpredictable off seasons in recent memory, if not like of this century. Um, there's so many agents and teams who have no idea what to expect. And the general theme basically is 
these teams are going to end up waiting for a lot of these players because there's a surplus of, of free agents available. Um, and they're going to try to wait so they can uh, get them for pennies on the dollar. So it's uh, it's going to end up being a really slow off season, especially with the winter meetings. And, um, it's just it's it's not going to be the most fun one to say the least. Yeah, we're kind of bummed. We you know we go to the winter meetings and we were hoping to be in Dallas. I mean, how how, how do you think this is all going to work out? A Zoom winter meetings. Yeah. So basically, I've been asking people today, like, what this winter meeting has, has been like. And I had a GM say, if there was a winter meetings, no one told me. And it's basically been um, a continuation of what's gone on this offseason. It's just teams talking and um, but nothing like right now, this has not been anything out of the ordinary. Um, and we're missing a, a key part of the offseason where a lot of these teams at the winter meetings laid on their groundwork for what they're going to do in the offseason and get a general idea for what's going to be available. So. Um, I think that's also going to really contribute to what already is a very slow offseason. And, and, you know, I get asked all the time about, like, our free agents. And, like, I, I don't know what the market is. I don't know what the market is, the market is for Marcus Simeon or, or Liam Hendricks or Tommy Listella. I mean, uh, you've talked about Marcus Simeon. Other teams are looking at him and wondering, can we move him off shortstop? Yeah, that was something that came to my attention a couple of weeks ago, and I had done more digging on it. And so these teams are looking at Simeon. For the majority of them, are looking at him as a shortstop because he's improved defensively as a shortstop. But there's been other teams that have asked about his willingness or his ability to play second and third bases. And I'm not sure if that's going to be a full time role or a part time role or what they have planned. But Simeon works out at that position or at those positions uh, during the season and a little bit in the off season too. So he's got the versatility card in his bag. I don't know if that's going to end up being what he signs or what he does uh, this upcoming season and beyond, but um, teams are asking about it and, and having that kind of chip in his in his arsenal is actually a pretty good thing. Yeah, and then you just, I, I mean, you, you kind of wonder, is anybody, I mean, is anybody really going to spend big money this offseason? I know the Mets have been the one team we've looked at, but now we're getting mixed uh, we're getting mixed signals out of Philadelphia. It kind of sounds like the Cubs maybe looking to move people. I mean, how many teams do you think are really going to be out there spending this offseason? There's not going to be too many. And you mentioned the first one with the Mets. That is a team that everybody's looking at and looking at Steve Cohen and his $14 billion of, of his net worth. And they're thinking that they're going to spend a lot. And initially they have, and they're said to be really aggressive by other teams and agents who have been in contact with them. But if we're looking at other teams, we're going to try to spend, I think the number two team is actually the Toronto Blue Jays. And they are probably actually right up there with the Mets in terms of aggressiveness, if not above the Mets. And their GM even went on the record a couple of weeks ago, or actually last week and said that they have multiple deals that they're just waiting to pull the trigger on. And you'd never hear a GM speak like that, especially in a market like this where, Seemingly every team is, is looking to sell off. Um, and then the, the, the other team that I could see spending is the Giants. Um, my indication from talking to people around the league is they're not going to try to spend the top dollar on a George Springer or a Trevor Bauer or anything like that. But they're going to spend uh, and they're going to try to spend for this year and also have the financial flexibility going forward. I would really look for them to, to try to add a, a left-handed reliever or two and and possibly one name to watch out for is Brad Hand. Well, you, you know, you mentioned one team, which it, it'll be 
fascinating to see how it goes down. But uh, as we like to call them, the Buffalo Blue Jays, the odds of them <laughs> playing Canada, at least at the start of the season, is probably pretty nil. So if they're going to be spending, they're probably going to be spending and still probably playing in Buffalo. Yeah, that's a huge wild card. And it's it's kind of bizarre to think about. And I wonder what this this upcoming season is going to look like from Major League Baseball as a whole. But uh, the Toronto Blue Jays and possibly having to play in Buffalo would, uh, for lack of a better phrase, not be great. Um, but that's the kind of world we live in now. And um, and hopefully we have a vaccine by then so they can actually play in Toronto and, and not have to do that in Buffalo. You know, the thing, the thing, we have so many big market teams that, um, well, I don't, I don't, you know, we don't know truly the direction. I mean, you start looking at the Cubs, you start looking at the, the Red Sox, there's big names out there. Obviously Cleveland's talked about uh, trading Lindor. What's, what's, what's the big move you see out there that you think could happen? Yeah, I think Lindor is the one that a lot of people are anticipating. And his market is going to end up being strong. You, met, you see Toronto mentioned with him. Uh, they've seemingly been mentioned with everybody. But Lindor is going to draw a lot of interest. But the one thing that could really end up impacting the, the Indians in this negotiation, actually there's two things. So one, Lindor has only one year left on his contract. And teams are going to want to have Lindor uh, possibly have an extension in place or have the idea of what an extension is going to look like. And then you also have to look at the upcoming free agent class for shortstops. That includes Lindor, uh, Baez, and a bunch of others who are top-notch uh, shortstops. And that could really impact what the Indians are able to get in return for Baez because, or for, uh, for Lindor. Just because when you have these guys all available next year and you're looking for a shortstop, you're not going to want to give up uh, all these top prospects and um when they're all just going to be free to sign in the in the next 365 days. So it's, I think Lindor is going to be traded. I think it's going to end up being later in the offseason. Uh, the other name to watch out for is Chris Bryant. Um, the Cubs, they're trying to sell off some pieces here. And Bryant seems like the most likely one to go. Um, of the two, though, I would say Lindor is the most likely. But I, I'm not going to rule out a Chris Bryant trade at all. I think those are the two names we really need to watch out for this winter. Yeah, the, the the Cubs have kind of talked about this for the last couple of years. It's like they've got these good players, but they're not in love with their good players. It's the truth. And it's the, the weird thing about the Cubs is they've had this really good core in place for a while, but they have not been able to get the most out of them. And they've kind of plateaued. Um, and it's, it's just it's bizarre. Um, and a lot of people are trying to figure out exactly why. Uh, they have obviously switched managers going from Joe Madden to David Ross. Uh, they've switched the major league coaching staff around pretty frequently. Um, so I wonder if a change of scenery to get out of Chicago uh, would be beneficial for Brian or some of these other guys. And it's going to end up being a major overhaul for this roster because they've made it pretty clear that this is going to end up being a, a pretty significant rebuild. Um, and it's not going to be a one-year, two-year, three-year rebuild. It's going to end up being quite a while. And they're going to try to stay competitive at the same time. And um, that's a challenge that Jed Hoyer is, is facing with Theo Epstein gone. Is he's got to he's got to head this rebuild and uh, and try to find a GM to go alongside with him to do it. Um, it, it they have the pieces in place to get some pretty significant prospects in return, but that being said, it's it's going to end up being uh, a doozy of a rebuild for those guys. Is that why Theo left? Yeah, and he's also been pretty um, adamant about. 
not wanting to be in a place for more than 10 years. And he was coming up on that number. And that's a, that's a Bill Walsh kind of staple is you, you don't want to be in a place for too long and cause you don't want to have these ideas get stale on you. And, um, and that was a huge reason why he ended up leaving. Plus he wants to end up finding a new challenge in baseball. And um, a lot of people think he's going to end up going to an ownership group at some point, but he's going to take the time off in the, in the near future to spend with his family and, and catch up before like fully diving into that possibility. You know, we've been talking about the potential of Billy Bean leaving the Oakland athletics. Um, if he does leave the A's, what do you think about his legacy and everything that he was able to do from uh, a ton of winning, making a movie about him, uh, Brad Pitt playing you in a movie and it was Oscar. Uh, what, what were your thoughts be on Billy Bean? Yeah. I, anytime you can have Brad Pitt play in a movie, I think that's a pretty successful kind of, kind of thing. But if we're being serious, um, his legacy is historic and the kind of impact that he had on the game is you, you cannot describe it because he's changed the game forever. And you see a lot of these teams today doing what he's done for a long time. And, and the A's may not have the highest payroll. They might not have the best players, but they've continually won. And that's a credit to him. That's a credit to Melvin. That's a credit to just the people he's put in place. And he's hired some really good people. And that's why you always see Forrest mentioned with diff- different jobs. You also see Billy Owen mentioned with different jobs. Is It's not just the strategy that he's put in place, but it's the people he's put around him. And that is something that when you talk to people who have worked with Billy, is he's an egoless guy. He puts these guys in a position to win. He puts them in a really good position to, um, with a plan that's, that's worked and it's had a proven track of, of success. So I give him a ton of credit. Baseball would be a completely different game without him. And if he ends up leaving, which it seems likely at this point, the A's are going to miss him. And so is baseball. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's end on this. Um, what are you looking forward to? I know it's going to be a slow off season, but as we get towards Christmas, New Year's, get to the start of the new year, hopefully a vaccine is available. And what are you looking forward to this off season in baseball? Uh, yeah, I think the big thing is getting the the vaccine for uh, so we can have some clarity for the, throughout the off season. But I'm all, like, if we're sticking like just completely to baseball. I, I'm looking forward to some of these top free agent signing and George Springer. He's going to end up dictating the market for the offensive side, same with JT real Um, But if we're sticking with uh, the Oakland side, I think Liam Hendricks has got the right-handed reliever market kind of on hold from for right now. And his market has been really strong. And once his, once he ends up going off the board, I think we're just going to see a rush of, of free agent signings um, from a, just all these different relievers. And there's a lot of them available. Um, so I, I think, Watching those two top free agents go off the board, I think that's going to end up changing the offseason and get this thing really just going. And uh, my indication is, is it's not coming anytime soon, but that can always change with one phone call. But uh, that is going to be the something that's going to be the one thing I'm really looking forward to this offseason. Well, I mean, there's so many players that are available. I mean, isn't it crazy? Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Like, there's over 300 players available right now, and there's going to end up being more throughout the offseason and everything. And it's just it, – it's it's not good. This has been the, the worst-case scenario for the Players Association. Is There's so many players that are available, and all these teams are claiming that they don't have money to spend on these players. And uh, it's something's got to change at some point. I just don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Hey, great stuff. We appreciate it. Be safe, and we'll talk to you in the new year. 
Hey, that sounds great. I appreciate you having me. Himbo, how are you? It is good to see your uh, to see your face. It's good to hear your voice. It's been too long since we've had the chance to chat, but the baseball news hasn't really been all that hot. So uh, I guess we'll have to make up for lost time here today. Well, you know what I'm thinking about that is that, okay, yeah, it's not going to be the crazy winter meetings, but, but you know what? I think we're going to, in times where baseball was kind of just dead in January and February, I think we're going to have a lot of signings. I think there's a really good chance that we have a lot of signings now. From from all the from all the tea leaves that I've picked up on, what it seems to me is likeliest is that over the next couple of weeks, we see a flurry of moves, trades, free agent signings, a, a lot of the sort of normal winter meeting stuff that goes down, and that we're going to see a massive lull in the month of January and maybe into February as we approach a hopeful spring training. Because my guess is that anybody that's all that desirable or someone at the very top of the market that's just going to wait it out – Aside from those guys, it's going to be a collection of veteran types that were either non-tendered or, you know, hitting free agency at a time that might be not so advantageous for them. And teams are going to try to feast on that part of the market like vultures early in February and try to get guys from, you know, a million or two million dollars, which is way below what they would have expected otherwise. But free agency just isn't really a destination anymore, as you as you well know. Yeah, especially after a 60 game COVID-19 no fans in the stands. You just wanted to get the television money. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, like you said, I think teams, I think some players will start to realize too, when the offers aren't coming in, that getting myself a decent one-year deal uh, on a good team, like a team that gives you a chance to win, might be the best recipe for 2021. That's a good point. And I agree mostly with that. Although I don't know how much the, the good team piece of it matters. The example I'll use is Carlos Santana, who uh, for my money is still a top 10 uh, player at his position right now. First base DH type, of course. He signed a two-year $17 million deal with the Royals, a team that's probably on the come, but not likely a contender. But you could do a lot worse than making $17 million over the next two years to play baseball. I know that's not how the, that, uh, these guys think about it. That's how we think about it. Uh, but in my judgment, his decision to do that is a good example of something that players should do. Take a generational amount of money early in the offseason to secure your place and don't get frozen out. Because a player like him, who doesn't play a premium position, who's not multi-skilled, who knows what the market's going to be like for you in March. This is a guy that might still be looking for a job at the All-Star break. We've seen that before, too. So I'm with you. I think players should be acting quickly along with their agents, recognizing that you know a one-year deal, a two-year deal is probably the best option here, especially given the fact that the, the next CBA is hopefully come, coming along the pike. And hopefully, again, that's more advantageous for me to, in, in the future. Whereas right now, if I can get $8.5 million a year, as an example, that's perfectly good money to play baseball for the next couple of seasons, given the uncertainty in the world right now. The first general manager I ever interviewed in my career was Dave Dombrowski when he was with the Florida Marlins. I thought you were going to say Branch Rickey. Okay, <laughs> go on. <laughs> I just missed him. I just missed him. Uh, so, so I've gotten to know Dave over the years, and I, and, and every single time I use that line, he'd always laugh, but he's always been very good. Um, he's a winner. There's no question about it. And now he's lurking around your fighting Phillies. <laughs> um, so you came to the wrong guy. Dave Dombrowski is the, is the, is the person I don't want. Uh, I don't want Brian Sabian. I don't want that kind of person. It, it is, the Phillies, and that's because the Phillies aren't in a position to do what Dave Dombrowski is good at. Dave Dombrowski is a potential Hall of Fame executive that isn't to take anything away from him. What he accomplished in, uh, in Miami, what he accomplished in Detroit, what he accomplished in Boston, like his resume obviously speaks for itself. But the Phillies are in a position right now where 
it seems that it's overwhelmingly clear they can't spend the kind of money that Dave Dombrowski wants to, and that the Phillies aren't, I don't know, five, seven wins away from being a legitimate World Series contender. The Phillies are right now in a position of peril where the, the owner is very loudly saying, we don't want to spend this kind of money. I mean, how often do you see an owner come out and say, like, yeah, we can't sign our guy, in this case, JT Real Muto. So given the mixed messages coming out of the front office, and given the fact that the Phillies appear likelier to want to sort of rebuild or at least reset, then you know, go on and contending for next season, Dave Dombrowski's not the person I want. Now, I, I read yesterday that Josh Burns, the Dodgers second-in-command, isn't coming here. That's the kind of person I'm into. Thad Levine of the, of the uh, Twins would be another. Obviously, uh, Eric Neander from the Rays was a pipe dream always. Even Michael Hill of the Marlins might be a decent option. But from where I sit, Dave Dombrowski is not the kind of person that I want making that move, unless with him comes a person who specializes in scouting, player development, and analytics, and he's willing to allow Dave Dombrowski to just sort of oversee the whole operation. That would be the only exception in my in my judgment. So when you look at the Red Sox are not all in, Phillies are not all in, right. Chicago Cubs are not all in. I mean, you're talking big market teams. How many teams do you really think going into 2021 are all in and it's about winning the World Series? <laughs> well, I think the, it's an interesting question because this – this space and time is so much different than ever before that I think a team can not go for it and still feel like they are if the rest of the league has sort of agreed to that, right? Because like if a team like the Cardinals in one of the bigger markets in the league decide they can't pay Colton Wong, right? That's that just as an example. How many teams are there like that? I mean, like you said, right? You're going to have the Yankees and the Dodgers spending money. You're going to have Artie Moreno spending money because he always did. The Mets have a new owner, so they'll obviously spend some money. But generally speaking, you're going to have 25 teams pulling back their budgets, I'm guessing, waiting to see what happens this year with fans in the stands and vaccinations, and then eventually what happens with the next collective bargaining agreement. So my guess is that what you're going to see is a couple teams at the very top, like we did last year, the Dodgers being the most obvious example, and then you're going to see a bunch of teams going for like an 85 to 90 win threshold where they can make the playoffs, make noise and get lucky, but they're certainly not going to sell out to try and improve their position in such a way that maybe it gives them a 10% better chance to win their division. That's not how these executives think anymore. And this is the land of the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays. That's right. That's this right. Is, see, we feel we got a shot at the World Series. Rays obviously feel they have a shot at the World Series. And for our two organizations that have mirrored each other for so long, it's not about always just going out and spending money. You feel you can just outsmart people. Uh, and the Rays did that last year, and you've done that for years. Here's an interesting thing I'll throw your way, though, as it relates to that, because this offseason is obviously so fishy and so different. Last year, I came on your program and I said, I think your club should at least make a play for Mookie Betts because you are just you can sell out for a year, you have the capital, and he's not going to cost 100 cents on the dollar, and he didn't. The package that the Dodgers gave up for Mookie Betts was an abject joke for someone who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Who's to say that the Rays or the A's or the Diamondbacks or some other small market club like it with aspirations of winning, can't do that same this year for Francisco Lindor, right? Francisco Lindor is, in my judgment, a top 10 player in baseball right now. He is a player who's somewhat affordable in 2021 by our standards and by the standards for, uh, by which he plays. And there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. He's a player for whom is probably going to increase almost any team's projected win total by two or three wins. He's a player for whom, if your team is not contending, you can probably get the same package or close to it at the trade deadline if you're not winning. And if, it, if this is sort of a... Um, a shotgun marriage uh, that's preordained the way that these things often can be, and you guys know what you guys sort of know the deal coming in. It's a really good opportunity for a, a sort of a, a summer fling that I don't think ends badly for either side. It gives him a chance to inflate his value, gives you a chance to make a run at the World Series. And what other what other opportunity would a club like yours get your hands on Francisco Lindor? What say you? 
Oh, I'm all I'm all about a summer fling. <laughs> it's been over 20 years since I had a summer fling, but I remember how much fun those were. Uh, Your wife uh, doesn't listen to the program. <laughs> no, she does not. Uh, that makes two of us. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's it's. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Simeon, but if there there is no Marcus Simeon and your option is Lindor and white cleats for one year, come on. How would you not want that? I, I think we often overuse the term generational talent. Like Juan Soto is that. Mike Trout is that. Maybe Mookie Betts is that. Francisco Lindor is not that. But he is a legitimate superstar. He is a, a very rare breed of five-tool talent at the shortstop position. Tell me if you like this comp or not. I think this is a good comp for Francisco Lindor. Because I think I think I think we often miss the mark with him. To me, he's Roberto Alomar. I see so much Roberto Alomar in Francisco Lindor. Obviously, they don't play the same exact position, but a premium top of the order bat playing in the middle of the diamond, a premium glove in the middle of the diamond, a player with a ton of energy who can run the bases at a high level too, a player who's likely to age well because he's so athletic and his because his skill set is so diverse. Who like if I'm a club right now who's greedy, like I'm looking to make a trade for him, lock him up as soon as I possibly can. I want him going into the Hall of Fame with my with my uh, with my cap on his plaque. Like that's what I want and that's the trajectory he's on. To me, that's a player on a Hall of Fame track who though he hasn't really mashed the ball the last season or two, absolutely has a collection of skills to put it together. I like I, I think that's the best comp for him. Roberto Alomar, what do you think? And I think you're dead on and I'll tell you why. Cuz the Padres originally wanted Roberto Alomar to be a shortstop. It's him who wanted Good to play pull. second base. Good pull. And the thing but, is, like, Francisco Lindor is so athletic and so skilled that he's going to be able to play shortstop through his early 30s and then transition over to second base. Like, it's it's not obvious to me that if you signed him, signed him to an eight-year deal, he's still going to be a value-positive player at the very end of that. Now, the question is, like, how, how much might his skills deteriorate and how much is he going to hit? But, like, how many guys, when you look at these – when you look at these guys that get mega contracts, right, a lot of them have been corner – like infield outfield types that don't age well. Francisco Lindor is the exact opposite. He's going to hit the free agent market at a time in which he is in his prime playing a premium position with no obvious reason to suspect he's going to decline the way that, say, Albert Pujols did or Josh Hamilton did or any number of other guys. To me, like, there's never been a a more sort of, like, home run type big contract to give. Like, even even Bryce Harper doesn't, can't hold a candle to him in terms of the expectation moving forward. I mean, I think you're getting six, seven, eight good years out of the guy. To me, he's the most, that makes the Indians are the most, absolutely the biggest player in the free agent in, in the uh, offseason market this year because they have the premium talent. The, the Alomar comp is so good. Good on you. Because yeah. uh, I, I, I saw that firsthand growing up in San Diego. If Alomar stays at shortstop, they don't trade him. But the fact that he wanted to play second base, the Padres went, we're going to second base. So they off Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar for Tony Fernandez and the crime dog, Fred McGriff. And, so and, 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 and I think it's a good point. And, and, I th- and I think there is also something to be said about the, the energy and popularity that, that Francisco Lindor brings to the club and to a fan base. Like Cleveland is... If we're going to be honest, Cleveland's a bad baseball town. They don't show up for their team. Obviously, the stadium isn't beautiful and the weather stinks, but they don't come. They're always in the bottom five or so in attendance. Even when that team is super good, it's hard to galvanize the group. You put him in a, in a, in a real baseball town, a town that loves their baseball, I'm not so sure that he doesn't become an absolute mega star. And look, he knows that. He's got the best smile in the game, get the bluest hair in the game. I, I, I'm, I'm just, to me, they have the Indians hold the crown jewel of the offseason, and now is the time to trade them. Now, I think you could argue the best thing for them would be to just wait it out and try and win again next year. But that's a club that cuts payroll back so far that they should be dangling him and and, and just offering 
you know, him up to the highest bidder. If there's anything working against them, it's that Semyon is available, right? It's, it's that the shortstop market this offseason is such that Andrelson Simmons is available too. Like you, you can probably get a player for for much for, for, for much less, even for 2021, and not have to give up any prospect capital to do it like you would with Lindor. All right, you got some trivia for us? I got some trivia for you today. So we'll, we'll, have, we'll have some good fun with this. I try to theme these as best as I could uh, off-season style. Because it's been a while since we did this, by the way. It's been much too long since I stumped you and made you look silly on your own program. Uh, my first question for you is this. Which player owns the record for largest contract by average annual value? Which player on a per-year basis is paid more than any in the history of Major League Baseball? Someone making like 32, 31, or maybe more than that. I'll go Max Scherzer. So Max Scherzer is incorrect. Max Scherzer makes 30 a year. He's That's high it? on this. He's high on this list. I'll give you another crack at this. It's a it's a it's a pitcher with an with an active contract. Obviously, it's an active contract, but it's not Scherzer. It's a different, it's actually a different arm. Surprised me when I looked it up this morning. This is the reason I'm asking. Kershaw? No. The answer is Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's deal last year. Wow. Garrett Cole's deal last year off um, 36 a year. So, and I totally had forgot about this. So, Mike Trout uh, had previously on the record at 35.5, and then Steven Strasburg and Rendon are next at 35 each, 35 flat. But Garrett Cole on, a, on an average annual value basis, $36 million, the highest paid player in Major League history by that standard. All right. They're, they're all the guys that were recently signed. Correct. And I, I suppose that should be encouraging for players now at the top of the market that can think to themselves, well, maybe I can still get the, like, if you're a premium talent, we'll still pay you like a premium talent. Speaking of premium talents, I asked this question with the backdrop of JT Realmuto being our next uh, item of conversation. Who are the only two catchers to ever sign a nine-figure contract? $100 million plus contract. Only two catchers have ever done it. $100 million deal. Yeah. Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge never did it. Pudge, Pudge, Pudge did did smaller deals. Um, Pudge did smaller deals. He's also a little bit early for the for yeah. most of these guys are, are more recent too. Got a catcher that signed for a hundred million dollars. Who Cody? See, Cody sits there from the catbird seat and acts like he knows everything. One of, <laughs> one of them is Buster Posey. Buster Posey is one of them. He he signed. He he owns the second largest catcher contract ever. He signed a nine year. 167 um, in the 2012-13 offseason with the Giants. So that's one. The other one here Brian is from 184. It was also an extension. It's not Brian McCann? It is not Brian McCann. Brian McCann made an awful lot of money in his career, but he never signed a deal. Of that Joe manager. Maurer. Joe Maurer is correct. Good pull. So Joe Maurer signed an eight-year 184 with the Twins in the offseason between 09 and 10. We've talked about this before. At least I recall us doing so. But where do we stand on Joe Maurer's Hall of Fame candidacy? Yes, and you're yes in. I'm a, I'm a, um, I think he's a fence guy. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm more in line with you. Like the, the peak was extraordinary, but you have to sustain it a little bit. Like he was, he's out of the game. Like he's pretty much a useless player by his early 30s. It was, it was all met. Once you got him out of the Metrodome, he couldn't put up numbers. Yeah, he was definitely a product of his environment there. So I, I'm with you on that, Chris. I think. I think Mal- like Mauer was an extraordinary player. And I think he'll actually be the kind of guy who, you know, stack geeks like me can can make the numbers really sing. Um, I don't think you'll – well, you might have the chance to do that with Posey too because of all of his accolades. But those are both interesting cases we can touch on another time. I asked this question because of Trevor Bauer's free agency. So he won the Cy Young Award last season, of course, for the Reds. They had never had a Cy Young winner, which means there are only three teams remaining 
that have never had a pitcher win a Cy Young Award? Only three. How many of those can you pull? Rockies. The Rockies never have and never will have a Cy Young winner. That's, uh, that, that was, that's kind of a no-brainer. Correct. Um, they got to win the Cy Young. That's right. Marlins. The Marlins is also correct. They have never had a Cy Young winner. Although, God rest his soul, Jose Fernandez would have almost certainly won one. He was absolutely electric. Evaldo Jimenez once finished third. There was that one year that you might recall, the all-star break, he was like a sub-one ERA. Because I'm thinking of teams that haven't been great, and they're kind of expand. Well, they are expansion teams. Um, There's only one more. Uh, Jose Fernandez finished third once and seventh once. I'm going to say the Texas Rangers. Oh, my gosh. Ding, ding. Ding. The Texas Rangers are the third team. That is correct. They have never had a Cy Young winner, which is always my always can provide my friendly reminder that Nolan Ryan never won one, which most people don't know. I'm not sure he's the best pitcher to never win a Cy Young award, but I think you could easily argue that based on all the value he produced everywhere he went throughout his career that he could be number one on that list. Let's see here. I got two more questions for you. Um, who was the first player to ever sign? Excuse me. Who's the first Major League Baseball player to ever sign? A $100 million contract. Kevin Brown. Oh, well done. So that's a question that you either you either know that or you don't. Like, that's not one that you figure out. I thought you might guess someone else. So uh, let, me, let me pull up this list by by uh, by year because this was really fascinating earlier to go into. So the, the earliest ones were Kevin Brown. He signed a 7-100. And then the very next, uh, let's see here, in 2000, the offseason between 2000 and 2001, that was the year that we had four, A-Rod, Manny, Mike Hampton, and Ken Griffey Jr. And, and that was the year, that was a 10-252 for A-Rod, two and a half times any contract that had come before him. It's still crazy, right? It's still crazy. Um, and also, it all, equally as crazy, Mike Hampton got an 8-121 for, for Colorado and cited the reason he signed with the Rockies because he liked their school system. And <laughs> great schools. Oh my gosh, um, that's, that's that's tremendous. You'd think that Mike Hampton had enough guap to put his kid through private school. Okay, my last question for you is this: We're going back to our where we started actually with Francisco Lindor. So this surprised me because Francisco Lindor has played six seasons. He's got 138 career bombs. That ranks third among shortstops all time. So what I looked at was most home runs among shortstops through six seasons. Who who are the only two with more? Through, I got to go A-Rod. A-Rod is correct. So A-Rod hit 148 home runs in his first six seasons. A couple of those were abbreviated. That ranks second on this on this list. Second? Second. second? And you'll, you'll know. If you, if you don't get it, you'll kick yourself, I think. It's uh, a lot of home runs. Yeah, the number here is 183. A buck 83 in the first six seasons of this shortstop. 30 a year. It's a marvelous start to his career. He's not a Rocky, right? No, he's not a Rocky. I know this is not going to be right, but I'll have to go Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken's, okay, it's a good guess. So, and, there, and, and, and you mentioned the Rocky. So, A-Rod's two, Lindor's three. Um, Trevor Story is actually fourth, and yeah. Cal Ripken is fifth. Um, number one on this list, Cody, do you have a guess, by the way? Well, when Chris said it wasn't a Rocky, I was going to say Tulo, but it's not him, clearly. No, it's not Tulowitzki. Ernie Banks is the answer to this question. So Ernie Banks um, from 1953 to 1958 hit 183 bombs. He he is a, a 
just an absolutely fascinating study. He went, well, obviously went back-to-back MVPs on terrible teams, like a very unique place in baseball history. He actually played more games at first base uh, cumulatively than he did at shortstop, which a lot of people don't know. But he's still, he still he went into the Hall of Fame as a shortstop, and he's still obviously remembered as a shortstop because his best years early in his career were as a shortstop. But he hit the ground running early in his career. His first few seasons, he finished second for Rookie of the Year, then a third-place MVP finish, uh, a sixth, a first, a first, a fourth. The beginning, I mean, his 20s were truly extraordinary and probably would have gotten him into the Hall of Fame all by himself. And thank you. He had to play all those day games. Yeah. And sometimes two at a time. Yeah. Cody and I tried. Did we ever figure out the act? The number of double headers they played was insane. <laughs> and, he, and he liked them. Uh, and, he, and Ernie Banks played every game. Like Ernie Banks played every single game in 55 in 54, in 57, 8, 9, and 60. He he always played. He He's a, a real gem in baseball history, and though I think he's sometimes probably overrated, actually, in terms of the amount of value he really produced, what he did in his 20s and what he did and how he hit there, it's sort of hard to overstate. He's a legitimate all-time great, um, obviously a beloved figure, and the all-time uh, leader in shortstop home runs through six seasons arbitrarily. So um, it's a fun one. That's what I got for you today. All right, that's going to do it uh, until after Christmas for us with you. Um, it's going to be a special Christmas because it's the first one for you in the new house. It's the first one for us in the new house. I have a new puppy, um, a, a nine-week-old Cavapoo, whose name is Chase. I named him after Chase Utley, my favorite filly of all time. Uh, not surprisingly, he's a he's a uh, ornery little squirt, but we're enjoying him. I'm, I'm enjoying um, my smoker as well, obviously. So Thanksgiving was a delight with the family. I've been, I smoked my, probably my best rack of ribs last weekend. So I'm really embracing the suburban life quite quickly. It's probably not going to be too long before I'm, you know, dropping off kids at school. Hopefully. Friday uh, school. I was going to say, well, you, you know, once you get a dog, kids are right around the corner. Like the, the biological time clock with my wife is like, it's like doing this thing. Like, we're just like <laughs> I should just already start adding rooms to our house. That's way too big for us already. Like I just, we are way way freaking ahead of schedule i can say that but yeah what, 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 at least she's not within earshot what, 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 once you're able to handle the dog the kids are right around the corner yeah i mean right now like we're having a tough time with the going out schedule like this is an every half an hour sort of deal like he's got no stamina so it's a tough it's a tough putt especially when the only thing you want to do outside is bite the is bite the leash and like pick up little shards of walnut so i mean this 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 thing is going to have this thing's going to be have a bunch of little pebbles for my driveway sitting in his stomach for the next 15 years how uh how cold is it? Cold. Uh, we're at like like 20, 25 degrees when you wake up in the morning, and we're getting to like forty during the day. So like we're like buckled in. We're buckled in. Oh God, you know it's been it's been real rough here. When I'm when I'm teeing off around ten fifty, it's like you know sixty sixty one. <laughs> sun's out. You know I I'll be playing for the third time on Friday. It's it's brutal. I mean, other than being locked down. Uh, that's brutal, but uh, golf is a still a going. Him, you, you can't see my hands, but I have two fingers pointed your way. Uh, <laughs> for my for my for my palatial state in New Jersey, I'm not I'm not too happy with that taunting that you're doing from three thousand miles away. So, do will you will, will there be a, a himbo clause, and you'll be doing something special for Christmas? <laughs> Who knows where we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be? Like, not how we even do anything. Like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm taking off the week from work at least. Probably probably use that time to catch up on my sleep and maybe and hopefully my book. But otherwise, it's gonna we're just you know plowing ahead and and waiting to get that vaccine in my arm. Uh, you are the best, himbo. Have a great Christmas, buddy. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you in January. Later, boys. Dan O'Dowd, former general manager. He spent 15 years in Baltimore and Cleveland. 
and then was hired to be the GM for the Colorado Rockies. And now on MLB Network, he does a great job on TV. Here's my interview with him earlier today. As I told him in San Diego, we'll tell him again, he's my favorite GM MLB Network. Dan O'Dowd is with us here. And Dan, it is hard to believe that the last time we talked was down in San Diego. And what has happened in our lives, in our world, and in our sport, the change is just unreal. Chris, first of all, thanks for having me on. And I know that I'm the only GM at the network, so to speak. So I guess I'm, I'm glad I'm your favorite GM. Oh, um, yeah. You follow guys <laughs> great. That's what I love. Uh, it, yeah, it's incredible what's happened to us. It's just surreal. And uh, it shows you how unpredictable life is and how adaptable you have to be because it seems like every single day you're dealing with another set of issues that you really are truly unprepared for. And um, it's been sobering this last, you know, ever since um, this, you know, the whole thing started, it's been very sobering in our entire country and certainly it's affected the sports world dramatically. Yeah. What do you think it would be like? And we just don't have to talk baseball. It could be NBA hockey. It could be NFL. And what do you think it's like to be someone who runs an organization as a general manager in a time like this? You know, it's, 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 first of all, it would be hard for me to wrap my arms around it because I've really never experienced anything like this, but I would think in doing the job itself, it, you're probably every single day anticipating problems and problems that probably don't have solutions to them. So you're just trying to survive each day and accomplish what you feel like you can accomplish um, and only try to take things one day at a time, not looking certainly in the past, but not looking too far in the future and realizing that the way you've operated up to this point in time is totally different than the way you're going to operate now and potentially moving forward. When I think about what we're hearing and I think about some of the big market clubs, where they're talking Red Sox, Cubs, Phillies, it seems like there's quite a few of the big market teams that are, are not going to be all in. They don't want to spend money. And, you know, I start wondering, looking around, how many teams are really going to be 2021 saying, oh, yeah, we're all in to win the World Series? What are you hearing? Uh, probably pretty much the same thing you are. And I think what's hard is that by nature, every one of these owners and every GM and baseball operations personnel get into these jobs or own a team because they're competitive in some way, shape, or form. And so that shows you the scope of the losses and, you know, the damage that's been done, not just, I mean, we talk about baseball organizations all the time. I mean, it's, it's every business across the country for the most part has been decimated through this pandemic um, and the loss of jobs and the uncertainty of the future. And these teams are no different than any other uh, vertical in the game in, in life. And uh, I think they're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we get through this to the backside of it? And when this clears, how do we be in a better, a better position than the one we're in now, or at least the same position one we're in now and as, and as competitive as you want to be to try to win, you know, in some cases you're just trying to survive. Yeah. And, and, the way the Oakland A's work and I always throw the Tampa Tampa Bay Rays in there also, cause they're kind of like our twin in some ways. It's like, yeah, these are trying times, but the way that this off season is going to go and probably, you know, you're going to have to fill some spots with one year deals. I mean, this is kind of what Billy Bean and David force have been doing for a long, long time. 
Yeah, I think for some clubs, the adaption model might be difficult. I don't think for the A's it's going to be. I think they, they're, you know, I mean, they're really good at finding undervalued assets that fit into both how they want to play the game and the culture that they've created. And honestly, it might even play to their advantage if they have any payroll bandwidth at all to work with, and they may not because of the saturation of the market is such. I mean, it's just logical to think that at the end of this, there's going to be a lot of players still looking for work. You know, when I think about free agents right now, for some guys, you know, they're going to get their money. But for other guys, is it smart to try and go get what you can now? Or do you want to wait and potentially not sign till January? Heck, even February, maybe spring training. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I'm by nature a little bit more conservative in how I live my life. Um, I think it's based upon how each individual person was raised and, you know, the family dynamic of what they came from and what they have. Um, I think for me, depending upon the player, um, I would be aggressive in some cases and other cases. We're going to know a lot more in February, might even be March, might even be April about what next season may look like as our country goes through a vaccination process. And so much of it's simply tied to our fans going to be allowed to be back in ballparks again and how many games are we going to play and what roster construction is going to look like. And so all those things factor into it. Some players are going to have to wait, Chris, because simply they're not going to have any choice, but they're going to have to wait. And my concern within the industry, like it's been in the last couple of years, is that the upper class will still get its money, but the middle class, um, you know, is going to get squeezed again. And those players, there's so many good players that reside in that area. I call them contributors, and they're really good major league players. They may not be impact players, but they're winning major league players. And the concern I have for that class would be the same concern I've had in the last couple of years. And isn't that the class that Tony Clark is trying to protect, especially coming around here with a new CBA that's going to be negotiated? Well, I would think Tony's got a tough job like, you know, Commissioner Manford does and, you know, because you're negotiating in such uncertain times. Um, I think he's probably trying to protect all of his constituents as much as he possibly can. And that's a really difficult task to do because, again, we are, from the minute this took place, we're in uncharted territories that we've never been as an industry. And that's for all of sports, not just baseball. Could be could, could it be a situation where, um, it could be a gamble, but just to say, you know what, I'm going to take a one-year deal as a player. Now, if it was me, I would take a one-year deal with a team that I think can win, uh, kind of championship chase. But you take the one-year deal and hope, as you said, vaccines, new CBA, reset fans in the stands. So I take that one-year deal, make that gamble, and think I can get something better next year. Again, I, I'm not a Chris. I'm not a guy that tries to paint the building with one brush. I think it comes down to each individual case. Uh, I think that's a great strategy, and I've been espousing that here at the network from day one. Is that um, I mean I, I I would take a cautious approach, and I would uh, like I say this all the time. I mean, you can deny the reality of the situation you're in. You just can't deny the consequences of denying the reality, and so. Um, I wouldn't be a pessimist. I wouldn't be an optimist. I'd be a realist about the situation, what's going on right now. 
and I would have decisions that are reflective thereof. In that case, it may be that taking a one-year option certainly is the most realistic view of your current situation. One thing that I've thought about for you being an ex-GM is let's say you got to trade Francisco Lindor and you're trying to go look for a package that you can take. And there's going to be some of the players that are part of a package. They didn't play minor league baseball last season. And you don't know when you're going to see them again. And you're going to have to go off old scouting reports. What do you think that's going to be like for a GM to try and pull it, pull the trigger on a deal? I don't know, Lindor, Arnado, whoever. And you want this big crop of minor league players and you don't know what these guys have been doing for the last year plus. Well, it's challenging. I, I think you're going to lend yourself to the players that have played for a longer period of time, unless it's someone that's just come out of the draft and you have all your free agent scouting reports on him, that you're going to probably go to a database that's reflective of, you know, multi-year reports and players that are probably a little bit closer to the big leagues rather than, you know, some of those uh, lottery gambles of high upside guys that are down further in your system that you probably don't have a wealth of information on. Yeah, that's got to be tough. And especially when you're trying to trade somebody, um, you know, of, of the kind of stature of the players. I mean, it's been a while since you've uh, Colorado, but, you know, knowing what you know about Nolan Arenado, I know a lot of teams would love him. He makes a lot of money, but it just seems like there's been a rift there. What do you think happens with the uh, Rockies third baseman that we thought was going to be the face of the franchise? Um, I don't think he ends up anywhere. I mean, especially this offseason. Um, I don't see a lot of clubs taking on large contractual commitments with such uncertainty moving forward in the future. And I can't imagine the Rockies wanting to eat um, or swallow a ton of what's left on his guaranteed deal because he's such a great player. And so, you know, as I think that was, Chris, for me, that's going to be a hard deal to line up unless they can find pieces that offset his commitment that make, you know, them just as competitive they are uh, as without him. And again, that so many things are going to have to fall into place for that to happen. I'd say it's highly unlikely. Let's end on this. You know, ever since MLB Network came around, you know, so different back in the day where you just have like baseball tonight on ESPN, which was just a, a half hour or hour show. Just what has that been like for your career? Because you look like you're having a great time. It looks like you're all having a great time, whether you're dealing with broadcasters, ex-players. Just what has that been like for you being a part of this network? Oh, it's been a tremendous blessing for me, Chris. I, I wouldn't even know how words could explain it. One, it's great. I, I work around so many good people up here. I couldn't, I haven't met a bad person. They're all tremendous and they treated me exceptionally well. And I love the fact that my view of the game is based upon my own life experience and what I've done in my career and everybody I've met, their view of the game is very different than my view of the game. And I've learned a lot. That's the one thing about the game of baseball. If you're humble enough to realize how challenging a game it is, you realize you're always learning at the game. And I've learned a lot since I've been at the network. And I've also enjoyed being able to see the game from a completely different point of view when wins and losses don't determine um, kind of where I'm at uh, emotionally in my life. And so I see the game a little clearer than I did even when I was running a team. Yeah, I, I can just imagine when you can just sit back and watch it. Correct. And you're not, you know, you're not caught up in every single pitch and every single play and every single decision. 
one, the game's more enjoyable. Two, you see the game clearer too. And, uh, you know, I mean, I wish I had done this halfway through my career and then done the job again, because I think I'd have a totally different approach to how I looked at the job from the way I did look at it when I was doing it. Dan, I'm a big fan. Uh, appreciate the time. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Have a good Thanks, New Chris. Year. You and, too, buddy. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you in 2021. You're right. Thanks so much, Chris. And again, thanks for having me on. And Merry Christmas to you and all your family. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Good afternoon, Ray. Tommy, good afternoon to you and Cody to you as well. I know you guys are just uh, moving right along on this holiday season and uh, the virtual winter meetings are in place. And I know you'd rather be on site, but unfortunately that's not happening. So uh, everything is good. Everything's going fine. Let's uh, just hope everybody can enjoy the Christmas time, the, the, whatever religion they're celebrating during this period of time. But uh, it's a special time of the year. and. Uh, best to you and Cody and your families as well. Have you ever had a chance ever to go to the winter meetings? I have not. And I have no desire to, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I'm sure it's, I, I've heard of players going, I've heard obviously agents are there. Uh, I have never been to one uh, back when I played, you know, we were under contract until free agency came about in 76. And at that point, uh, I don't even remember what winter meetings taking place. I'm sure they did. Uh, but no, I've never been to one. I, I'm sure it's exciting. You've been to them, I, I assume. Um, and you've had guests on, I know, in the past that uh, I'm sure you have a, or had a place set up for you and Cody and interview people. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a very exciting time. But, you know, it, it's a matter from what I've read of how many deals actually are consummated during that period of time, or is it just a matter of, uh, Talking, I read something David Force said that um, that from what had happened in the past, it's a whole bunch of people from the other side or another team sitting on one side, and so there there was social distancing even before this took place. But uh, it, it's more so now. But I, I feel badly for people like you and Cody that you're not on site and being able to interview some of these people, especially players um, who are are free agents and looking for a new team. Well, you, you know, I think it was very important at, at, at one point that everybody get together. I still think it's important, but I'll, I'll explain to you is, you know, when you do business, doing it face to face is far different yeah. than doing it from a phone. And I agree 100%. So before we had Zoom, which, by the way, Ray, I wish I would have invested in Zoom. I look back on it. <laughs> Imagine we never knew Zoom was going to get this big. Uh, but, but, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, you know, you you go into somebody's hotel suite and you hammer out a deal. But now, from the standpoint of the front office people, they can get on their computers. They can be on Zoom. They can see each other face to face and they can they can talk it out. What 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 now changes is all the different people who are trying to get jobs inside the industry, they yeah. were the people walking the floors. They were the people having the meetings out in front of everybody. And now there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a couple of years and I think it's going to affect the minor leagues. It's going to affect 
uh, baseball in general, you know, because we only think about it as the big league level, but the entire business will be affected because so many people not being hired, not being in the game. So that's what I think we truly miss out with the winter meetings is all the stuff that just isn't dealing with major league baseball players. You know, that's a great uh, point, Tony. And, and, you know, really didn't really think about it because when you asked me if I'd been there, I was thinking more as a player, broadcaster, or whatever. But, you know, I can think of talking to various people when we were traveling. Uh, hotels, for example, uh, uh, the administrators or the people in charge of group, um, the groups, I guess you could say, would go and, and try to entice a team, say, to come to their hotel and I'd uh, be able to talk to them face to face. I agree with you about the face to face part uh, because I, I never like if I'm going to deal with somebody, I'd rather be able to talk to them face to face, see the reaction versus the telephone, because, you know, person could be multitasking, multitasking and, and not even paying attention as much. But you get them face to face. I agree with you that that's important. But I also agree with you that the peripheral as far as, uh, you know, sure, the players and the ownership and general managers and now uh, the, the vice president, president of baseball operations, they're trying to get done uh, deals done, but it's the other people trying to get jobs in the interest industry. I think it's important. And I know we have talked throughout the year about, unfortunately, the, the, the people who have lost their jobs, the concessionaire people, the uh, uh, souvenir people, et cetera, like that. But, you know, I can see, like you said, that it could be a while before these places um, you know, Mickey Morbido probably, I think, has uh, been around a long time. I have, and he has as well. And, and Mickey, as the traveling secretary, said, you know, you guys should be traveling this year. We're staying in some great places. You know, but, but that's his job. You know, he has a budget that's given to him by the ball club, and he, go, he goes to a certain hotel. He knows how many rooms he's going to need on certain dates. The airlines doing everything in that regard. So there's a lot, there are a lot of things that go on other than just a player uh, trying to get a job for the future as a free agent. And and I think that is something that I'm glad you brought that up because there are a lot more jobs at stake now uh, that maybe won't be filled, or at least maybe somebody said, well, we're just going to go with who we've had in the past versus hearing from somebody new. And that's going to hurt maybe both sides because, uh, you know, the, the new people coming in, maybe they have in case of a property, maybe it's a good property that they want to get exposure by having a team come in there. Uh, I, I will say this, that Mickey and most teams, if not all, do a very good job of making sure that people really don't know where teams are staying so that they're not bombarded with uh, with people outside the hotel and usually signs are outside the hotel. And, you know, if you're not staying here, don't come to the lobby, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it, this is a different year. And that is a great point that you bring up about how things have changed in regard to those various uh, parts of the game. Well, having traveled with the A's and getting off the bus at hotels, there always seem to be some uh, Ray Fossey fans with memorabilia for you to sign. I think I, I, I still think you're one. As we call you the face of the franchise, I've seen it on the road. Well, it, it, to be honest, it's an honor. And I've always felt, and, and, you know, it's the time when people stop asking you, that's when you should be concerned. And, and if you go through your time as a, in, in your career, as a player, broadcaster, coach, whatever it might be, and you're asked by somebody, and granted, you, you know that some of the things are being sold. Well, if they can make money off my card, my signature, good. I hope they're not going to make a ton of money. I know that, and I don't care. But but I think if you walk by somebody, you turn them down, I, I think you're, you're a disservice because that is something 
that comes with the territory, that comes as a major league player. And I remember several years ago, uh, there, there was a player who said, you know, we are not, um, people don't look up to us. Yes, they do. P- you know, kids look up to major league players. And, and I think that is what has to be uh, important for players when they're playing or when they retire. If they're out and about and somebody does ask you for an autograph and they have something. And see, the thing about my cards, Tony, the older type cards, you can use a Sharpie and it doesn't bleed because there's not as much wax on the old cards. So, you know, it makes it pretty nice. But these people are pretty sharp. Uh, the, the worst thing that I see, though, when, when we arrive at a place at 2 or 3 in the morning and look out and see kids and people out there looking for an autograph, and then everybody walks right by them. And so if they ask me, I sign because, you know, it takes time to get your kid and do all those things as well. But but it's still um, – they they somehow find out where the teams are staying and they'll they'll come in and and try to get autographs. The same people will be there. I in New York, I've seen them be outside the hotel in New York asking for autographs. And by the time the team bus gets to let's say Yankee Stadium, those same people are there trying to get autographs. They know the system. They know the train service and they know how long it takes. And uh, now that there's a back interest at Yankees, uh, entrance at Yankee Stadium, they can't even do that because the old Yankee Stadium, you actually got out of the bus and you had to walk through. They had the barricades up on the sides and you walked between those barricades and you had the fans on the sides asking for autographs. And you would see some of the same people you'd see at the hotel. And uh, I give them a lot of credit uh, for doing it. They, a lot of times they're collectors and that's, their, that's what they want to do. And uh, I had someone tell me, uh, a father say to me one time, he says, you know, all my son wants to do is collect baseball cards and get autographs. I said, so? I said, he's not getting in trouble, is he? Because if you're doing that, you're not getting in trouble. And, and I think there is nothing wrong uh, with collecting cards, which I started to do when, you know, I was about five, six years old myself. And uh, different times then than now, uh, as far as the, um, uh, the the grading of the cards and stuff like that, times have changed as, as baseball. But Still, it's a great part of the game, and uh, I still enjoy being out at Heritage Park in Cleveland with you, Tony, and being able to uh, be a part of what Tom, uh, Bobby DiBiasco did out in Cleveland in center field, and you got a chance to see that firsthand. Yeah, absolutely beautiful the way that uh, the Cleveland Indians have honored the great players that have played inside the organization. And, you know, Ray, a- as a pro athlete, you're a creature of habit, and there's like certain times in the offseason mm-hmm. – where you start saying, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going I'm to start lifting now. I'm going to start running now. I'm going to start throwing now. Or it's this date where I'm going to really start hitting. You went through that last year as a baseball player, and then you got shut down. And then yeah. you had to wait, 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 wait. And then it was summer camp. If 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 you're going into this season – I, I, are you going to wait a little bit to see if, if you've got some some knowledge of when things are going to start? Because the last thing you want to be doing is heating up, cooling down, heating up, cooling down. Yeah. I, I think, Tony, to be honest, I think it's uh, – and maybe last year players did learn, but I think it's called getting ready in moderation. And you're right. There is a certain timetable. But I will say this, that because salaries are the way they are right now, players – especially major league players, players that stay on the 40-man roster, uh, and maybe even not a lot of those in the back end of the 40-man roster. But if they got a good bonus, maybe they don't have to work. But I, I think 
in the case of a major league player with the minimum salary being what it is and with salaries being what they are, I think what a player can do when the season ends, he may take a week or two weeks to shut it down, but then start gearing it up again. And as January rolls around, February is when spring training begins, you really start getting into it more. I do not think that players today completely shut it down like we did. And I say we in my era because we worked in the offseason. I had jobs uh, because you're making seven to twelve thousand dollars a summer. You're not, you can't sustain your lifestyle or any sort of a lifestyle in the wintertime. And if you have a family and you have children, you have to do something to bring in some money. But if if you have even the minimum salary, you can save enough that you can go through the off season. But I, I think what's going to happen is that players did learn from last year. As they go into 21 they may say, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I, I think sooner than later, they are going to have some idea of what's going to be happening in spring training, when it's going to begin. But uh, I would hope that, again, it's done in moderation, that you try and, you know, what you, you hear say during spring training, the peaks and valleys of, of things that say happen uh, during mid-spring uh, training where a pitcher gets a dead arm. He gets that because he's worked to get ready to pitch and you know as a pitcher but but then all of a sudden you're in the competition and what you've done to get ready with your arm strength and your legs it's not the same as being on the mound let's say in spring training and that's why scott emerson the ace pitching coach and i'm sure all the other pitching coaches gradually build up their, their pitchers to get to the point where they're ready to go by opening day now if we don't know when opening day is I think it can be backed up, but I don't think it's ever going to be to the point where a player is going to completely shut it down. I think Liam Hendricks had a great season, a 60-game abbreviated season, because he threw during the shutdown like he was getting ready for spring training, and I think that helped him. You don't have to overthrow, but just throw. Get your arm loose. Make sure that you can do things that once it's set, decided of when it's going to start, you can say, okay, I can start gearing up because when they do decide, there's still going to be plenty of time, whether you're a pitcher or position player, to get ready. And if you're not ready, all you have to do is say, I'm not ready, and they're not going to push you. But, uh, you know, you're right. Players are creatures of habit, but I think a lot of them learn from last year. And going into 21, I think they're going to learn even more and maybe wait to see what's going to be happening. But I don't believe players are going to completely shut it down and wait and wait and wait. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you, maybe you gain some weight, you try to lose the weight, but if you do it in moderation and you kind of stay in shape, keep the legs in shape, keep your arm in shape, that when they decide when it's going to start, you can gear up because you kind of know that's going to happen. And I believe this year, kind of going into 21. And again, I'm speaking only from my standpoint of what I think, I think based on what did happen in 2020, going into the 21 season, that once the commissioner decides, okay, we're going to start X date, X number of people can be in the stands, and we're going to have some sort of, I mean, obviously the, the players have to agree, but I think going into 22, when the CBA expires in December, a year from now, uh, I, I think they're going to be um, more concerned about playing as much as possible this year, not knowing what's going to happen in 22. So I, I think there's, there was a learning process in 2020 that's going to help in 21. But I think from what you're talking about, there's going to be plenty of time once it's decided when spring training is going to start, when the season's going to start, 
and then they can go forward and be ready to go. I don't think, uh, personally, I don't believe there's going to be a spring training, shut it down, and then not know when it's going to start again. I think they would wait until they can get some sort of, of a definitive date for spring training to start knowing that, okay, you're going to go in spring training, the season's going to start at this time, and we're going to go into it without any hesitation. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that one. And uh, I can't wait to hear that date so we can really start no, pre- preparing for it. You know, Ray, in certain sports, it's easier to chase championships, whether it's football, basketball, mm-hmm. hockey. Uh, I just, you know, talking to a lot of different people lately and knowing that the climate is not what you want it to be. And it may just be better to say, you know what, I'm going to try and sign. Like, you didn't have to chase championships. You got traded to it, one, two quick ones, and there you had championships. If I'm a Ray Fossey and I'm a free agent and I haven't won a championship yet, wouldn't it be ideal to say, you know what, I'm going to sign a one-year deal and I'm going to sign with, I don't know, Dodgers, Yankees, A's, Rays, somebody that's going to have a chance to win a championship and everything gets reset. I agree 100%. And I would say more, but you can't go more than 100% because that's the maximum. But I agree with you because if you're in that category, now David Force was asked about, let's say the bullpen, 80 relievers are on the market, 80. And we talked, I think last week about the number of players in general that are on the market. And it's a bad time to be a free agent. It's also a good time to be a free agent if you're good, but I think it's a buyer's market. It's, a, it's an owner's general manager's market because they can pick and choose uh, who they want to have on their club. But, uh, no, I agree with you because, you know, you, and the nice thing to me whenever I see a player who's making money, like Mookie Betts, I'll throw him out as an example. Look how happy he was to win a world championship. That's the second one he'd won. But he signs this huge contract. And he was so excited to win the world championship. And I think that sets him apart in a sense that no matter what the money is, being able to wear that world championship ring and say, I'm a world champion. And knowing in that particular year, there were only 25 players on that roster. Now it would be 26, of course. I have to keep reminding myself. But, um, though, you know, it's a special time because there's a world champion, only one every year. And if you can sign a one-year deal and you can be a world champion, let's say, as you're talking about, the next year things are back to normal, your resume shows you're a world champion. It shows that you know what it's like to win. You know what it's like to be able to pass that information on to players who are sitting next to you or playing next to you that have never won. Because now you can talk to them saying, I've been there. I know what it's like to go through the wild card, the division, the league championship, and the World Series to be world champions. I mean, you're looking at a lot of baseball games that you have to win in the month of October to become a world champion. So when you do become one, you set yourself apart from a lot of other players who have played the game. You you think of some of the greats in the past that are no longer with us, that never, ever got a chance to play on a world championship team, much less win a world championship. So I agree with you. If you can surround yourself with players, who are good and you yourself become good because of your surroundings, it cannot do anything except help you when you become a true free agent and get out in the market and teams start looking at you. Because I think those players who are in that category are going to be ones that if I'm an owner, general manager 
um, vice president, president of baseball operations. And I, he's out there in the market. I want to say he knows what it's like to win. I want a winner versus somebody who's been a perennial loser on, on, or on a losing club. I won't say a loser because individuals are not, but their teams are not winners. They, they don't win world championships. But if you can surround yourself with players to help yourself become a world champion, I think that is the best advice you could be given. And I hope people and players are listening to that as they are going through this week and going through the free agency and getting ready for the 21 season. Yeah, because, you know, Ray, everybody wanted to always sign by the winter meetings, but the game has kind of changed a little bit. And who knows? Your value could change. We don't know how many roster spots are going to be allowed. Is it 26? Is it 28? Yeah. Is it 30? I mean, and that can change your value with the team. And it may be better for you to sign in February. Well, I agree. And you look at Bryce Harper and uh, Manny Machado, didn't they? Uh, but spring training for them, wasn't it? That they signed their contracts. And so, no, I agree with you that if, if you can wait and, and determine the market at that time, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, he's one of the top premier free agents as a pitcher. Uh, I, I'm sure he's going through this right now. Should he sign? I mean, he, he may have his mindset, but I, I, I think with him, I think it's more of who's going to win, who has a chance to win. For him, I think that's what he's looking for. But uh, uh, if it means having to wait a little bit, What's wrong with waiting? What's wrong with waiting to see exactly what's going to be happen, happening in 2021? Because maybe if you're a free agent and you're looking for a multi, multi-year deal, maybe you're not going to get it if you sign too early or you, you may say, I want to wait just to see what the market's going to be bearing and, and be able to do it that way. But, you know, that's an excellent point. And, and that's why I say a lot of times here we are, you know, a couple of weeks away from Christmas and the holiday season where maybe the general managers and uh, ownership, they're talking about signing a free agent or general managers making a trade that maybe the, the groundwork has been set. But I agree with you that it's probably not going to be consummated until after the first of the year and maybe even closer to spring training. I don't believe, you know, players, and we go back to the thing about that uh, when you start getting in shape because players are in shape. It's not like you're working at a job and not doing anything to get yourself or keep yourself in shape. I think that players are able to sign as late as some do because when they do sign, they can step right into spring training and as a position player, take a few rounds of batting practice and say, I'm ready to go because they have been taking batting practice or a pitcher has been throwing, maybe not to live hitters, but throwing and ready to go. So he throws a few rounds of batting practice and he's ready to go. I think it's different in that regard now that it has been in the past and or was in the past to the point that you know we can do that uh we can see some of those late signings tony hey. I, I do i do I, I do want to clarify something i said last week and it, it kind of bothered me because we're talking about sonny gray and ryan rua getting a base hit it's that bob feller is the only pitcher to have pitched a no hitter on opening day not a complete game which i incorrectly said and i know there's some people listening saying you know you don't know what you're talking about but you know, I, I knew there was something wrong with what I was saying, but when Sonny Gray had the no-hitter going, it was could he match what Bob Feller, the only one that has ever done, uh, and still he's the only one that's ever pitched a no-hitter on opening day. So I want to clarify that before we, we close this out. Well, I got to say this. Uh, earlier this year you said 
Uh, if you're the Texas Rangers, why would you shop Lance Lynn when you need Lance Lynn? Uh, what, 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 what did you think when you found out the White Sox acquired him? Well, I thought the Texas Rangers was saying, we have a brand new stadium and we're going to be bad because he was their ace. And, you know, you talk about a good deal for the White Sox. And, you know, we said before, or I know I said before, and I strongly believe that if Tony Larusa had been manager, the A's might not have gotten through the wild card game because with Lynn now added to our wild card series, but with Lynn now, he would have been pitching that third game. That would have been a different story for the athletics than what it turned out because Giolito pitched a great game. The A's got to Dallas tackle in game two. And then what every pitcher on their, uh, the White Sox staff pitched in game three and the A's won it, which I'm glad they did. But I, I think what Lance Lynn is going to do for that rotation, I, I, I think of two things. Number one, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, I think he wants another world championship badly. So he's willing to make a deal and not worry about the future. If it happens now, we'll take it. And I think for Tony LaRusso to come back, and I I think I read that Lance Lynn was the first pitcher that um, when he pitched for the Cardinals, that Tony LaRusso managed him there. So now he gets to manage him again and uh, have him be in their rotation. They've got a very good club. If they can stay healthy, that central division, is going to be very, very tough for anybody other than the White Sox to win. I was, you know, for $8 million, considering he signed a $30 million deal for three years, and I guess it was front-loaded. Normally they'd back-load them, but from all indications, it was $8 million for him for the 2021 season. That is a great deal for someone who can pitch as well. I, I don't like this innings thing. He can eat innings. I like a guy who can pitch and pitch well. Lance Lynn can do that. And I don't care how big he gets, what kind of beard he has, and, but I, I think he's going to be outstanding for the Chicago White Sox because they have a good rotation, a good club. Now, as far as the Rangers, uh, they've already told Elvis Andrus, you're not playing shortstop. you got the gold glove third baseman, Connor Falefa, who's gone from third base to shortstop. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. But I don't think they're going to be – maybe they'll be like the Seattle Mariners in the Western Division. Maybe it will be kind of a, a, a three-team – Three, two, I don't know. Uh, yeah, three teams with Houston. The Angels are, are kind of going in the same direction, trying to win. And we know what the A's are trying to do. So, yeah, I, I think from the Rangers' standpoint, they felt, hey, we, if we can get something to help us in the future, let's do it. Lance Lynn was the biggest ticket. They got rid of him, which I was shocked. Uh, because if you're going to do that, well, at least they did it so the White Sox have him for a full year. You know, the worst thing would have been to do it at the trading deadline because then he becomes a rental player. He's a rental player anyway. But um, what I'd heard originally when he signed with the Rangers for three years, he only wanted two, and the Rangers ended up giving him three. So maybe that's why it was front-loaded. And then as it turns out, it's a pretty good deal, great deal, I think, for the White Sox. And I think we see the direction that the uh, Texas Rangers are going in. Uh, Yeah. Have you ever seen a team open up a new ballpark and say, yeah, we don't want to (laughs) win? Well, the Pittsburgh Pirates opened up a new park, and they didn't win. It wasn't that they weren't trying to win. They just didn't win. And, and I think the lack of attendance proved to be that. But, um, you know, again, before we close out, and I know, I don't know your guest list. Cody does a great job. But uh, we lost another great player in the great Dick Allen, who played the one season in 77 for the Athletics. He, uh, he passed away this past Monday. And, and what a tremendous, tremendous hitter. And I think from all indications, he was one vote shy of the Hall of Fame, uh, the Veterans Committee, one vote shy. He'll get in, but unfortunately, he's not going to be around for the acceptance speech. And the Phillies are going to retire his number this past year. That didn't happen. 
and unfortunately uh, he passed away on Monday. But uh, Tony, if if you think of a hitter that can use a 42 ounce bat to hit, that tells you the man is very strong. And Dick Allen was the strongest hitter as I've ever seen. Well, we went over his numbers, Ray, and I know there's some backstories, and uh, I, I, you know, I just, but I looked at the numbers and I said these are hall, these are hall of fame numbers. Yeah. Yeah, not the Veterans Committee Hall of Fame. I agree. I agree. I'll tell you a quick story. 1972, Chuck Tanner was managed Chicago White Sox. Dick Allen was playing. Gaylord Perry, who had 29 complete games. It was July. President of the American League said, uh, if somebody, a uh, manager, wants to check a pitcher who he thinks is throwing an illegal pitch, he can do it. Chuck Tanner was managing on a Sunday afternoon, first game of a doubleheader. Gaylord was pitching. We had a one to nothing lead. I kept looking in the dugout. I said, what aren't you seeing? Bottom of the seventh inning with the White Sox trailing by a run. Here comes Chuck Tanner out. And he asked the, pit, the umpire to go to the mound. Gaylord, in his slide of hand, wiped off the back of his head. I called for a slider. He shook off to the, the pitch with nothing on it. Dick Allen hit a home run to tie the game. White Sox won the game in the bottom of the ninth inning on a walk-off. And Chuck Tanner, instead of exposing himself by saying the first inning, I want to check him. He waited until the big boy came up. I picked up because at the time, you know, I had to stay behind the plate and Dick Allen was there. I picked up his bat, almost broke my back because it was so heavy. But this was a monster of a man who could swing a bat as heavy as that. But uh, but that was that new rule that was put in. But Chuck Tanner, uh, who managed for the athletics and Dick Allen, who played for the A's in 77, the one year, uh, he waited, he hit the home run to tie the game and then a walk-off won it. That was one of Gaylord Perry's 29 complete games that season. Uh, there'll never be another Gaylord Perry. <laughs> well, there'll never be anybody pitching 29 complete games and, and getting 40 decisions and 40 starts. I know that for sure. But, no, Gaylord was exceptional, but uh, Dick Allen was was really exceptional, too. I mean, I, it's, uh, it's sad that he passed away, but uh, unfortunately, you know, getting to the ages where a lot of our – contemporaries are, are, are not going to be with us or not with us. But uh, anyway, um, it's just, uh, it, it was just sad, but uh, I, I hope you and Cody, like I said, have a great, very Christmas. What's the rest of your program today? Uh, we're going to have Billy Owens on. Great. And then we're going to have uh, Dan O'Dowd, former GM and now on MLB Network. So uh, right. we roll on. But you know what? Number one thing, Ray, have a great Christmas. Be safe with your family and the grandkids and your kids and have a happy new year. I'll be in touch with you before we bring you on next time. But, uh, uh, you know, everything, my best to your family. And we'll talk. Uh, you'll be back on the show in 2021. I look forward to it. As always, it's as highlight of my week is getting a chance to talk baseball with you and and know that the great A's fans are going to be back in large numbers rooting on their team. Cody, congratulations on another outstanding year of putting together a great list of guests for Townie and Townie to you for being able to do a great job interviewing and asking questions and uh, keeping baseball alive on A's cast throughout the year. Great job as always. Merry Christmas to you, your family, Cody, to you as well. And I definitely will look forward to you after the new year and a happy new year. And let's just hope that when that, when that clock turns 1201 for 2021, that we can look back at 20 and say, thank God it's over <laughs> because there's too many, too many bad things have happened already, but uh, it, it's been a pleasure for this 2020 season. And I'm glad we got connected and, and being able to do this because I really look forward to it and, and um, just keep it going, doing a great job. 
Well, thanks for the kind words, Ray. Um, happy holidays to you and your family. And uh, we look forward to talking with you in 2021. I have one hard-hitting question. It can, it's really short. Favorite Christmas song? Favorite Christmas song? Yeah, what's your go-to Christmas uh, song? White Christmas, Gene Autry. Okay, it's can't go wrong there. I mean, it's the yeah. I mean, it's it's been around forever. And the Cowboy, I'm just sad this Cowboy never won a World Series when he uh, when he owned the Angels because I kind of compared him to uh, um, uh, the owner of the of the Red Sox. Um, you know, the, these owners put their heart and soul and money and everything into uh, trying to win championships, and you know, they just didn't happen, unfortunately. And um, in the case of the Cowboy, he sold the club, and shortly thereafter, he passed away. And then uh, the Angels won their only world championship in 2002. And uh, Tom Yawkey, who was thinking about with the Red Sox. Um, but, you know, these were country club-type ball clubs, and we on the outside would look, look at them and say, wow, geez, you know, these, these guys are getting paid all this money, and they're not winning. But, but uh, it, it was before the free agency and before what is happening right now really came into view as far as baseball is concerned, those owners did it. And uh, the Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, um, to me, can't go wrong with that. All right, Ray. We'll talk to you soon. Be well, my friend. Thank you, Townley. Best to you and your family. And uh, have a great, great holiday season. I know you will. Thank, thank you, buddy. Billy O, it's been a while, but how is everything for you down in the Valley of the Sun? Uh, dude, it actually rained out here today, man. The first time it rained since, like, uh, like August 8th or so. So we got a little precipitation out here in the Valley of the Sun, and uh, we're ready to roll. The it cacti are, are a little greener today. It's always weird when it rains down there because, like, everybody doesn't, you know, they don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah, it's funny. I guess we're on, um, like, in the Northeast, they're used to driving with the snow. So in Arizona, it never rains. So people definitely uh, react differently. Uh, when they're driving in the rain, per se. But, no, it's actually a welcome change. Saw a lot of people walking outside in my neighborhood, uh, getting a little precipitation. So, got a little uh, greenery outside, a little brighter. So, uh, it's good. It's just uh, life in 2020, bro. Well, I, I know you're all about building. You're all about players. And I think that after the big league club got through this whole thing and got through a round of the playoffs that – when you look back that you had to be pretty proud of what this team was able to accomplish in 2020. Yeah. Now Bob Melvin, I mean, for one, uh, obviously tremendous manager, probably the best in baseball uh, for us to, to win a division this year, get over that hump. And actually I've been with the A's for, for 20 plus years and made the playoffs uh, 11 out of 20 years, but we only, only got out of the first round in uh, 2006. We lost to the Tigers in the ALCS that year. Uh, Megaly Ordonez against Houston Street. So for us to get over that hump, uh, beat a talented White Sox team in the first round, and then we uh, bowed out to the Astros in the um, at Dodger Stadium. It, it was still a, a great year. Uh, guys made strides this year. You know, Sean Murphy established himself as a force behind the plate. Uh, Jesus Lazardo got a uh, Rookie of the Year vote. And so you, you couple that with uh, Ramon Laureano playing uh, – Really good center field. Our bookend guys in the corners and uh, Olsen and Chapman. And uh, going forward, um, obviously, uh, Simeon, a tremendous year in person. Uh, Liam Hendricks, um, another guy that, you know, outrighted a couple of years ago. Then he puts up two stellar uh, all MLB first team years for us in the closing ranks. So uh, it was a 
great year. It, it was fun. It was um, only one team's left standing, and that was the Dodgers in uh, 2020, but it was still a, a hell of a ride. You know, you talk about Murph, and we had him on the program, and he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a no-nonsense kid. And just <laughs> watching him, um, the power that he has, and defensively, even though there's a not a lot, there's not a lot of running in baseball. I hope that kind of comes back. But his catch and throw ability for a guy his size, wouldn't you say that's rare? Yeah, no, he's a, he's definitely a two way catcher. He can shut down the running game. I think he was either he led to the American League or amongst the American League leaders in uh, throwing guys out. Uh, his OPS was right at uh, 833 offensively, and I and I can see that rising. You're talking about a guy that uh, hit above three bills in uh, Stockton right out the gate in his minor league career uh, last year in, in AAA in 2019, hit well over three bills. And so far in, in the major leagues, uh, you combine the two years, his OPS has been above 800. Uh, short swing, compact. Uh, Murphy's got a great backstory. For one, his dad played minor league ball, so he had a little um, – professional baseball pedigree but uh, Sean Murphy was an undersized kid all the way through like his junior year of high school like five eight or so and so he he had that kind of quickness and that's the way he operated and then his senior year in high school he shot up to six three which he is now and he still kept, kept that same quickness as he had when he was five eight five nine if you, you couple that with the rocket arm and, and um the physique that's, that's added strength over the years uh, is just a hell of a catch, catching package. And honestly, I mean, I see Murphy at some point actually starting a major league all-star game, and I don't think that's hyperbole. And um, our Jonah Heim, our, our backup catcher, uh, 25 years old, switch hitter uh, from Buffalo, New York, originally drafted by the Orioles, traded to the Rays, and then um, we, we traded for him a couple years ago. Uh, Jonah Heim is um, a very capable backstop as well, a soft hand. Another guy, I think we might have the, the two tallest catchers in MLB, but uh, they both fold up really well behind the plate. And um, on most teams, Jonah Hahn would be a viable starter, but uh, Sean Murphy, he, he's an all-star caliber player. Yeah, you got linebackers playing catcher. Yeah, we got linebackers or, or maybe like three guys in basketball, versatile. Uh, they can hang on the wing, but they can also uh, – go to the hole and, and, and flush a dunk. It's business as usual in baseball as, you know, I guess virtual winter meetings going on. We had the Rule 5 draft. You guys made two selections. Tell us about those selections. Yeah, first guy is uh, Kai Tom. He's originally from Hawaii. Um, we go all the way back with uh, Kai Tom to um, University of Kentucky. Uh, they've always had good players down there at SEC. And um, he, he's a classic um, Oakland A's player, man. He, he's built, if I like to use the other sports analogy, kind of got like a J.K. Dobbins body. Like you go Ohio State, Baltimore Ravens, 5'8", 5'9", a sturdy build. Uh, Kai Tom's been on base 360, minor league career, uh, 2019, between AA and AAA. Um, very good strike out the walk rate, uh, can play all three outfield uh, positions, and he'll surprise you with some sting. I mean, he's got seasons with double-digit uh, home run tallies. He's always um, had a solid uh, slugging percentage. And so you throw that versatility in 
being able to play all three outfield positions, that's going to give you a quality at bat that we've seen since college in the SEC at Kentucky, all the way through A-ball, double-A, triple-A in the Indians organization. Uh, we're definitely excited to um, bring the Hawaiian native uh, Kai Tom into the fold. And the second guy, uh, Danny Jimenez, uh, Dominican Republic kid, um, live arm, up to 98, 2019 in a Toronto Blue Jays organization, uh, had a sterling ERA, solid strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, the Giants rule five them 2020. Um, he got a couple appearances for the Gigantes. Uh, they sent him back to Toronto. So he's a back-to-back uh, rule five guy, live arm. Uh, Scott Emerson for us, actually an old minor league teammate of mine, but I believe he's the best pitching coach in MLB. And so if anybody's going to harness uh, Mr. Jimenez's uh, secondary stuff and make him a viable big leaguer in 2021, Emo's the man for the job. How tough is it to be a Rule 5 guy? Yeah, it's tough on both sides. I mean, for one, it's a great opportunity. I mean, our best Rule 5 in recent eras is a Mark Canna, uh, Bell Prep San Jose, uh, like myself, Kevin Franzen, Pat Burrell. But um, yeah, Canna came over. He was uh, Marlins organization. He, um, he hit 300, always had a history of hitting. Cal Berkeley guy as well. And we rule fived him. Actually, the Rockies did. We did a, a, a rule five trade that day. And um, he's been able to stick. I think he's got a 795 OPS for us for his career. Played all three outfield positions. But what it does, um, it gives guys opportunity. It allows them to get a major league trial, spring training, see if they can um, you know, break with the club. And then from there, they have to be on that roster basically the, the whole season. Otherwise, they're going get, to get offered back to their original club. And so, I mean, it's kind of it's a, a little bit of a roster freeze. But if you get a situation like Mark Hanna, you go all the way back. Um, Roberto Clemente was actually a Rule 5 pick, signed from uh, Puerto Rico to the Dodgers, I believe. And, and he was uh, selected, and he ended up being um, – the most decorated uh, Puerto Rican player of all time. So uh, there's been great stories from the Rule 5, Canada for us recently, and hopefully this year, Kai Tom and Danny Jimenez. Yeah, our buddy Bip Roberts was a Rule 5 pick back in the day. There's been some really good ones. Of course, you see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. You mentioned Mark Canna, and of course, as you said, you guys went to the same high school, Bellman Prep, down here in the South Bay, and it's just I remember when Mark Canna showed up, it's like, okay, what is he going to be? Can he play? Is he going to DH? Is he going to, does he play third? Can he, can he play like left field? I don't think anybody knew how good an athlete, maybe you did, that he could be playing a legit center field in major league baseball. Yeah. For one, I mean, Mark Canna is probably the one of one. I've been in Oakland A's 21 years. He's one of the most driven people that I've seen in a major league uniform for us. And honestly, you know, I played a little football back in my bell prep days. And uh, right when we rule five selected them, our uh, head football coach, we shared the same head football coach, Mike Janda, Hall of Famer in California. And Coach Janda was like really telling me what kind of speed that uh, Mark Hanna had. And, and like you said, I don't think anybody 
besides Coach Jan, that had that really true intel scouting report. So he comes to us initially, first base, left field, DH, possibly stand to stand him at third base. But, you know, after a while, he had quality at bats at first big league camp. He breaks. And then lo and behold, I mean, the athleticism, the drive, uh, kind of won everybody over, had a big first year for us. Then the next year, he had a couple of home runs early. Then he had a surgery. He missed a lot of that second year. But then since he's come back with that drive, with the physicality and that right-handed power, uh, he's made himself a really good major league player. I mean, a guy that, you know, has got a 795 career OPS. And like you said, he can play legitimately all three outfield positions. Uh, he's hungry. He gives you a professional at bat. He's a good dude. And so, yeah, yeah, we struck gold in the Rule 5 that year, for sure. And then I think a guy like Chad Pender, like we've had him on the program, and like, you know, he grew up a shortstop. He grew up playing in the middle of the diamond, and next thing you know, you want to get his athleticism and you want to get his bat in the lineup. And next thing you know, he's going out into the outfield, and at one point was playing right field, and StatCast says he was getting some of the best jumps on the ball in all of the game. So when you look at a player – as a scout and you're getting ready to draft a guy, how hard is it to project, hey, I can put this shortstop out in right field someday? Yeah, for one, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, you go back to Little League, the best player in the field pitches and plays shortstop. And a lot of times that goes all the way through at least high school where the best player in the field, even like a lot of Eric Davis played center, he played shortstop in, in high school. So the better players normally play short initially, then eventually they branch out when you go to college and, you know, you have five short stops and guys got to play multiple places. So when Chad Pender broke in, dad played professional as well. Um, dad played at Virginia Commonwealth, actually with uh, Jerry DePoto, the, um, the GM for the uh, Seattle Mariners. But uh, Chad came in. Uh, we had an incumbent at the time it was Marcus Simeon or somebody else already playing shortstop. And so with that, and Chad got drafted, well, with a couple other guys, Daniel Robertson, Addison Russell, we had a couple other shortstops right around his draft class, 2012 and 2013, when he got drafted. So he showed that versatility in the minor leagues. He played third, he played second. After we made a couple of trades, uh, Chad was a Texas League Player of the Year at short. And then he, Triple um, A, played majority shortstop, but he always dabbled at other positions. And so, that year, we had a crowded spring training, um, and actually, I was kind of just going through his um, his uh, career at Virginia Tech, and lo and behold, he actually played a lot of outfield his freshman year in college at, at Virginia Tech, and so it wasn't something that he hadn't done before, and so just with the configuration of our team at the time, um, we just asked him to go out there and take some drills, and he took it like a fish to water, and he uh, looked comfortable in the outfield. So uh, to make a long story short, I mean, if you go, you know, if you go around the diamond, I mean, our platinum gold glove winning third baseman and Matt Chapman, guarantee he played a lot of short as a youth player. Uh, Marcus Simeon, a great free agent out there, tremendous person. He played shortstop coming up through the ranks, and, you know, guys that are versatile, even Laureano, and if you, if you really want to laugh, uh, Cespedes, I mean, in his Cuban days, uh, when he was 14, 15 years old, 
he'll he'll tell you he was a shortstop too. So I mean, the better <laughs> player started shortstop. You know, I think about Matt Chapman, and yes, he was a shortstop. Uh, his range, his athletic ability, his arm. Do you think you could put him there and play him there every day? Yeah, I mean, last year, just with the circumstance, he showed that he went went to um, shortstop in Houston. I mean, that's a bigger conversation. That's above my pay grade. But could could Matt Chapman, could he be the best defender on the field that at more than third base? I would bet my answer would probably be yes. I mean, just with the superior uh, hands, um, the athleticism, the footwork, the precision, the being acrobatic, uh, he can he can do it all defensively. And just with all the shifts out there, I mean, if you you go mess up Manny Machado, I mean, he, he caught a ball this year in their ship, damn it, the right field wall. And so Chapman, he's definitely slid over and and stood at that shortstop position, even though he um, was listing the lineup card as third baseman. So. No, yeah, he can he can do whatever he wants to do defensively and whatever wherever the Bob Melvin puts him in the lineup, he'll be an above average major league player on the defensive side of the ball without a doubt. Let's end on this. You mentioned your time with the A's, with Billy Bean and all the winning that you guys have done and looking around baseball right now where you got some big time teams, you know. Maybe it's the Phillies or the Cubs and the Red Sox and they're there's they're, they're they're looking to cut payroll. They're looking to get rid of guys. You guys always try to win. For someone that's in the front office, what does that mean to you that no matter what, the A's are trying to win? Yeah, I told – forgot who I told about a decade ago. I always said Billy Bean will never concede. I mean, he's definitely – he ain't trying to punt. He ain't trying to pull a – was a Reggie Roby back in the day or Ray Guy. Billy Bean ain't no punter. He's more of a gunslinger. He's more Elway, Marino, one of them cats, man. So we're definitely every year at some point when it, when they say play ball April 1st, we're going to put a, a lineup out there that's uh, capable of winning. We, we've made the playoffs here 11 out of 20 years. Uh, we'll mix and match. And honestly, if you just look at, you know, Major League Baseball, um, a Rosarina was, was a kid that when he got an opportunity this year sometime in September, he ended up being, you know, hit 10 home runs in the postseason. And so you, you never know who's going to be tomorrow's October heroes. So at some point we got, you know, guys on the horizon that need opportunity, uh, whether they're in our system now or maybe they're Rule 5 today or maybe we get them via trade. But and when we break camp um, – Late March, early April, Billy Bean, David Force, myself, uh, we're not going to concede. We're going to try to put a winner on the field. We've done it as far as a playoff team, 11 out of uh, 20 years. This year we got out of that first round, beat the, a talented White Sox club who's, who's really, really talented. And so, you know, being a division winner last year was fun. And now let's, next year, let's try to make that next step for sure. Well, I, I got to tell you, it's always an honor to have you on the program and the knowledge that you bring. We appreciate it. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. And we'll talk to you in 2021. I can't wait, Tony. Looking forward to it, man. 
Talk to you soon. Jesus Lazardo joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you? It's been a while. I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. You know, the last time we talked to you was actually, um, as we saw you in person, was when you were at the A's offices down at Jack London. You came to our, our little cube to do an interview. That that just seems like forever ago. Yeah, it does. It does feel like forever ago. I feel like I lose track of time nowadays. Yeah, I know. We've been thinking about, you know, uh, reflecting on the season, looking forward to uh, 2021. We talked to the skipper, Bob Melvin, earlier today. And, you know, I'm going to ask you some of the same things I asked him. Now that you've had time to step away from the 2020 season, when you look back at it, what was it like for you? Uh, I mean, I would say it was was extremely uh, stressful, but at the same time, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, even though we were going through the whole pandemic deal and and all that stuff that was kind of a distraction. It was at the same time, I feel like it brought us closer uh, as a team, uh, feeling as we all had to go through it and kind of leave our loved ones behind. So, uh, I mean, in that sense, it was good. But at the same time, uh, it was extremely stressful throughout the year just because of all the unknowns that we had. You know, it was only a 60-game season, but how many games did it feel like you actually played? Uh, I mean, in games terms, it did. I mean, it didn't feel like 60. I would say it felt like a little more. It felt like probably half the season. Um, but in terms of just days, uh, you know, there, there were some days off, but they still felt like forever because we were just sitting at home. So uh, I felt like the season went lo- went a longer period of time than, than normal. So when you, when you talk about uh, the A's and, and what we're going to be doing for the holidays here, and it's just very important to uh, really spread a lot of holiday cheer amongst the East Bay and the A's week of giving, what does that mean to you to be a part of it? I think it's extremely important. I think it's a blessing, uh, you know, to be on a team like the A's that are doing so much and, and giving back so much to their community. Uh, you know, I think that's great. Yeah, it's it, it's a very special time because you know I, I know you're not in California. Uh, we've actually here in Northern California, really all of California, we've gone back to to lockdown, um, and I think it's just going to be very important that A's fans get to, to get get to hear from you guys because I think it's going to mean the world to them as people aren't going to be able to really do much these holidays. So good on you and the Oakland A's. I think it's, it's a very special time. And I think at these times uh, people need, they need a little holiday cheer. And I think you guys can provide that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that, uh, you know, we're all excited for it and, and I'm happy to do it a hundred percent. You know, anything to, like you said, uh, cheer people up. If that's what they need. You know, if that's what, you know, if having us there, uh, whether it's hearing us or virtually, uh, you know, it, if that cheers them up, then we're happy to do it. You know, each year of your career, you're going to learn something and you're going to learn something new. W- what are you taking away from this short season 2020 as you're in the off season? What did you learn about yourself? I mean, I definitely learned that, uh, so for me, I was I felt like I was kind of searching all year. Uh, I was going between different grips on my slider, and I felt like my mechanics were a little off from time to time. So I learned to, you know, when I go into season, I need to be already locked in and have everything set, uh, you know, not going into spring training, kind of still feeling things out. So when you're in this off season, take us through like when do you start throwing? When do you start throwing off a mound? When do you, you know, we, we kind of, 
I mean, let's be honest. We really don't know what spring training is going to look like. There will be a spring training, but how how do you take yourself through the off season? Yeah, I mean, I, I started throwing uh, about a week ago, and then I'll just keep you know progressively building up, uh, probably until first week of January is when I'll get off the mound, and then uh, you know take it slowly there until we know what date we have to report at. How much conversation? will you have with Scott Emerson throughout the off season? Uh, probably weekly. Yeah. At least a text weekly uh, phone call here and there, but we definitely keep in, in contact and uh, you know, he keeps close tabs on us. Well, I, I got to think you're just chomping. I mean, all every ace player I've talked to, every coach I've talked to uh, even Bob Melvin today is you guys got one goal and that goal is to win the world series. And that's what the expectations are. Uh, how much do you think about that during the off season? Uh, I would say every day. Uh, you know, you go to to work out. You know, every day I feel like we go in there and we work out, and there's always a goal. And at the end of the day, the goal for us is to win a World Series. So I feel like that's what we're all looking forward to, and and that's our goal throughout the off season and going into the season. How many uh, guys are you, are you able to work out with? Uh, where I go, I mean, I go to a facility up here in Jupiter, and. Uh, they kind of break them up into groups, so we're not in too many groups because of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, we, we do have a lot of guys in that gym. They just happen to separate them up in times. You know, we, we, when when the season ended, we got a chance to talk to Liam Hendricks. And uh, he was like, Florida versus the bubble you guys were in was like like was like a whole different world. What was it like leaving the bubble and going back to – a, a regular you know going back to regular communities yeah it was definitely different uh you know being in the bubble everyone felt so safe and so comfortable um you know especially after we were in there for like three weeks so after like two weeks we were extremely comfortable around each other and all that and then now you go you come back home and you got to go to the supermarket and you have to remember that you know covid is is still a big thing and uh, you got to be careful so i felt like it did take a couple days to adjust but after that, I mean, I feel like I uh, got accustomed pretty fast. You know, you, you mentioned about how you guys uh, developed such strong relationships. You, it, it was already a very close clubhouse, but obviously being in the bubble and being in hotels and not being able to leave hotels and, you know, you guys had to be around each other more than ever before. Just talk about how close this team really is. Yeah, I mean – I, I 100% think that we did get closer, uh, even though it was already a close clubhouse. Like you said, just being in hotels all the time, not being able to leave. Uh, you know, we were kind of always hanging out with each other at the end of the day. Um, you know, whether it was all together, sometimes it was the pitchers, sometimes it was the hitters. And then for the most of the time, we we're just, you know, all hanging out, um, you know, being safe and all that. But at the same time, you know, spending time together because, uh, you know, that's, that was our only way to spend time, really. So I think yeah, that this that, that created this clubhouse and it made it, you know, it took us to where we got this year. And I think about one of the strengths heading into 2021 is the starting rotation. I mean, you look at the year that Chris Bassett had, uh, Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya and on and on and yourself. I mean, just just talk about your group, because I think what that when, when we look at going into the season, that is going to be a major, major strength for the team. Yeah, I mean, I think that we have a great group of guys, you know, that are that are coming back from next year. And I also think that we have, uh, you know, some arms 
in the minor leagues that are eventually going to come up and help us out as well. So I think, you know, we have a great group of guys, and, and I think that is a strength as well. Well, hey, we always appreciate the time. Happy holidays. Have a great Christmas. Uh, and we'll talk to you in 2021 as we get ready for the season. But thank you for everything that you and all your teammates are doing during this time, A's Week of Giving. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Happy holidays. Stephen Piscotti joins us here. Stephen, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Uh, I bet. Let, I'm just going to tell you, we, we just played Adam Eaton. Um, don't hang up on a radio station. It's not a good look. It doesn't go over well in the end. But uh, so, so have you been since the uh, end of the season? I've been good. Um, you know, just at home, a little bored, not a whole lot going on. Uh, other than the training, haven't traveled or done anything really. Um, but I'm healthy and my family's healthy, so we're we're doing just fine. Yeah, and it's A's week of giving, and I I know as a as a local guy that means a lot to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, last year Marcus and I got to you know visit a bunch of places and um, you know meet a lot of people and, and do some cool things in the community. And obviously with uh, everything going on, it's not really uh, doable this year. Um, so we're kind of missing out on that for sure. Um, but I'm sure, you know, hopefully next year we'll be right, right back to it. Um, but it is, you know, we've done a few videos and a couple things trying to, uh, you know, spread some joy and some cheer into, into people's lives right now. And hopefully we're doing that. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, more than ever in a time like this, uh, if, if there's anything anybody can do, you know, from the A standpoint to help a family, to help anyone. I mean, it's just, you always want to, you at this time of the year, you always want to give back, but it just seems extra special this year because so many people need some love and need some happiness. Absolutely. Um, It's been a challenging year. Very, very challenging to say the least. And, um, you know, we're almost, almost to the new year and can uh, kiss 2020 goodbye. Um, But yeah, it's, good to uh you know do that and you know there's a lot of people that are are hurting right now and so anything we can do to help um you know we feel like that's our responsibility to do when you look back at 2020 and it was only 60 games but sure felt like way more than 60 and then the run through the postseason when you've now had time to reflect what do you think about the 2020 season Uh, i mean it was unique you know that's that's kind of one thing that just sticks out you know it was just um a really weird um you know season you know the the protocols everything we were having to do you know just to get into the ballpark and our routines were all thrown off and um you know traveling was different you know it was just we had hall monitors in the hotels like it was just it was just a strange strange season um but i felt like as a team um Everyone that you know got on that field competed their heart out. Um, I don't think that lacked in, in any regard, and it was um, you know a successful year. You know to get you know another another step uh, further into the playoffs, um, but it was just a, a strange season. I mean, shoot, I remember the games we were playing. You know when the smoke uh, was coming into town, yeah. we had a one o'clock game. You know under the lights because it was just the sky was brown. It was incredible. So it was just like weird things like that sprinkled throughout the season. Um, it was just really strange. Yeah. You know, trying to tell everybody, you know, what you guys are going through in the travel party. I mean, just think at one point you guys were worried about whether 
you would be in, in in the line of the hurricane that was heading to Houston. Luckily, it didn't get to Houston. And it went north, but there was a, almost we're gonna have to deal with a hurricane. Yeah, yeah, hurricane. Um, you know, we had the one COVID, you know, positive test, and had to, um, you know, shut down for for a week. Um, obviously, we had the the games that we, um, you know, didn't play. Um, that we, you know, in a sense protested and, um, you know, there was a stretch there. I think we went, you know, almost a week without playing a, a ball game and then had to make them all up, you know, later. Um, so it was just a, a, a crazy chaotic season. Um, I'm you know, very fortunate to be a you know, part of that. You know, that's one we'll, we'll not forget anytime soon. Um, but I'm just really hopeful that we, we return back to normal uh, coming up here for, for spring training and beyond. And one of the reasons why, you know, we're all crossing our fingers for that is you still have a very good ball club and you have one of the better ball clubs in all of the game. And I think this is going to be a season where you're going to have certain teams that are in it and certain teams who are going into some type of reset rebuild mode and everybody that I've talked to and hearing you today, it's like you understand how good you guys can be and what you've learned from last year, you can carry into this next season. And you have to believe, Stephen, you guys are one of the teams that's going to have a shot to win it all. Absolutely. Um, like I said, we, we gained some more experience, you know, last year, you know, going to the playoffs, um, you know, we won the division. That was a you know, tremendous accomplishment. Um, you know, I think each year that I've, you know, been with the club, things have just gotten better and better. And I don't see any reason why that's going to you know, stop, you know, progressing in that way. Um, so I think it's, it's an exciting time, um, to be part of this, this team. I think it should be an exciting time as a, as a fan, you know, this, this club, you know, wants to win. It's going to do everything they can. So what's the key for you this off season, getting ready for 2021? Um, you know, there's a few things that, you know, from an offensive, uh, standpoint, I'd like to, to work on and, and clean up and, you know, I'll spend some time, um, you know, go, you know, working with, with Darren Bush, you know, our hitting guy and, and sending videos back and forth. Um, you know, trying to get a little shorter to the baseball. I felt like I got a little bit long, um, you know, last year it was, it was a tough year. I felt like I had a great, you know, first month and then, um, you know, kind of ran into a, a classic, uh, slump towards the end and with only 60 games you don't really have a time a whole lot of time to uh to correct that um and so I look back you know generally um with some positivity with, with some of the things I did um can try to build off that and and uh you improve where I need to improve you know they've always had that cliche back of the baseball card I just got a feeling that we're not even going to look at 2020 like you're just going to skip from you're going to go 2019 all the way to 2021 because you know it, it, how do you really judge any of the numbers when it's only 60 games? Yeah, I mean, when you're used to playing, you know, 162, and then it, it's condensed down. Um, you know, the sample size is obviously just just smaller, so you're going to see, you know, some you know crazier and, and bigger swings or um, you know margins of error on, on certain statistics. So um, it was we all knew that going in, um, but you. You know, you know, like for me, when I, I still look a bit, you know, my batting average at the end and it's 220 and I'm like, you know, it still doesn't feel good. I know I didn't necessarily get a whole season, but it, it didn't, you know, feel good. Um, 
but I felt like there were some, um, you know, stretches during that season where I felt, um, you know, it was really, you know, helping, you know, contribute and come through, um, for the ball club. And, you know, those are the things that I try to, uh, to remember and, and think of, uh, uh, more often than the, than the negative. Hey, you want to talk weird. I don't know if you got to see this, but obviously your alma mater, Stanford, Stanford football has been one of the premier programs now for years, winning a lot of big games, bowl games. Mm-hmm. Um, they were practicing at a park, a Division One Pac-12 school. Did you see those pictures? <laughs> I have not. I, I believe it. I have not seen the pictures, though. I, I, you got to go see it because I was like, like, you're like, Stanford football is practicing at a park. I mean, it was so hard to get your mind around that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, is that related to, you know, what is happening with the Niners and how they're forced to, what was the, what was the reasoning there? I, have, I haven't heard this. This is new to it, me. No, no, it's, it's, it's Santa Clara County shut down all contact sports. So San Jose state Stanford for, that's why the 49ers had to go to, uh, that's why the 49ers Arizona. are in Arizona. So basically Stanford and San Jose State and the 49ers will be finishing their seasons uh, on the road. Ooh, tough. <laughs> tough, tough, tough. Yeah, I just want to know if you saw that because it was just so interesting uh, to see that. But, you know, once again, thank you for everything you do because every single year you've been, been with the A's, you've been very good and uh, – uh, the local guys, you take a lot of pride in being a local guy, and, and we all respect that. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, that means, that means a lot to me. So happy have, to do it. have a good Christmas. Stay healthy. Happy holidays. Have a good New Year, and we'll talk to you in 2021. Be well with the family and be safe. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, too. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.